Hey there, Stephen. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Manny Marco, King of Worms. King of Worms, you say? It was the only reference I could think of. So my, I think my RPG background will become apparent that it's painfully shallow. And Elder Scrolls doesn't have anything like bone magic, but necromancy is close to bone magic. And this was the big bad necromancer at the end of the Mage's Guild quest line in Oblivion. So... So by King of Worms, then, uh, that means like uh, the worms that eat corpses, right? Presumably. I never yes, gave him a chance to explain himself. <laughs> well, it wasn't spelled like W-Y-R-M-S, right? No, that would have been cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was King of the, the Pale Noodles, not the Dragons. Right, which makes yeah. sense for a necromancer. Totally. Cool. Alrighty, well, uh, that, is, that is a cool background thing. Honestly... I mean, you know a lot more gods than I do. I just, I never bothered to memorize all the different gods of all the various RPG settings because there's just too damn many. Oh, this was this was just a necromancer. He wasn't one of the gods. Ah, okay, okay. He, he was just uh, the bad boss behind whatever nonsense was plaguing the Mage's Guild. I forget all the plot. I got a hell of a cool title for someone who wasn't even a god. I know, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe worms aren't that cool, but king of anything is cool yeah skitter pointed proof to us how cool being the king of insects can be you can you can call yourself king of anything until someone tries to stop you in yash yes and at, and at that point they might try and kill you so oh shit okay to, to reclaim their title anyway yeah on a meta meta note i listened to this week's episode and you know i i think my enthusiasm and energy level when i sit down to do these is too much because i was talking really fast all, the whole time Oh, so I'm trying fine. to be mindful of that this episode. You know, I feel like part of my talking fast, I can play off as a public service for like, ha, now you can't listen to this at 2x speed because um, <laughs> I already talk at 2x speed. It's also, you know, helps us get done in three hours rather than four and a half. That's true. Okay, I will. I'll be I'll be mindful of the, the trade off between word count and, and uh, well, I'm already ruining it. Uh speech word rate there we go all right we this is something that's going to come back uh actually late in the episode so let's put a pin in that which i guess word is a count and reference. word rate uh yes more or less sort of okay see. Well, i i'm looking forward to it cool is that by the way i've always wondered like it only occurred to me a year or so ago that that was probably a grenade reference where you put the pin back in to keep it from going off I'd always assumed more like, you know, you put something up on a cork board and stick a pin in it to remember to get it back to it later. But the grenade thing seems more right. Do you have any, have you ever wondered about that one? If I had to, if I had to bet, I would think it's pin on a, like a cork board. Like, you know, let's, let's put a pin in that so we don't forget. Yeah. yeah that's what I thought too. Cause you're not, you're not recontaining like a hazardous situation where, you know, you're pulling the pin. Oh, shit. Okay, this dates back to at least 1859, so certainly not a hand grenade thing. <laughs> All right. We got a meta note here. Musk. Oh, wait. First off, this is uh, worth the, this is, uh, the podcast, Not Everything is a Clue, where we talk about Alexander Wales' book, uh, Worth the Candle. If you didn't know that and you're here, you uh, don't know how you found this place. Glad to have you. Anyway, yeah. um, Muskwalker and other people are just, this, this is like a thing that comes up every week or two on Discord. People don't like my use of the word PC to mean gamer, or some do, and it seems to like I I I, th- I feel like they're talking past each other a lot. So I'm going to unequivocally say that I mean when I say player character, I mean somebody playing the game. That is uh, currently just June, so far as we know. Somebody with a game overlay who levels up, presumably accrues experience, and 
can invest uh, skill points. So are you I, are you okay I, with using the term gamer, or do you want to stick with PC? I if it if it annoys people enough, I will change. I don't know unless this becomes hyper relevant later on or something. Why there's any contention about it? Um, but like I I I'm fine saying either one. Okay, well, because I just back from the old Harry Potter and the methods of rationality days, PC kind of meant like someone who was not only active in the world, but kind of like conscious, whereas NPC are just people who have rote lines and don't have any inner experience of consciousness at all. And so that that was like what I was thinking when you were using the term PC, and we, were, we got in a confusion at one point. But um, as, long as, as long as I can keep in mind that PC just means someone with a game overlay and not necessarily, you know, as opposed to someone with no, uh, no internal consciousness, then I, that'll be fine. More, more agency rather than no agency, like, like Harry used it. Um, you're right. And I, so I see the confusion. Yeah, Harry used it to mean like, I'm a person with agency and therefore the player character. Professor Quirrell is another player character where, um, when he's asking the librarian, where's Hermione? And she's like, where's, you know, this is, we're closed. And he's like, no, it's an emergency. It's like, you know, well, whatever. The, the exchange where he's not getting any information during an emergency in his brain, it's just like you're talking to NPCs again, and then he just leaves. Yeah, um, that's not how I'm using it, but I now better understand the confusion. Yes, I mean the person playing. I mean the player character, cool. our protagonist Juniper Smith. I learned his name was. Um, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it was in the first chapter or whatever. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we were playing a game where we had to pick surnames, and I was like, "Wait, what's Juniper's last name?" And you just laughed and said Smith. And I'm like, "Well, that's no fun because <laughs> yeah. you thought ahead and took pain drag." I um, did. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to write this down in ink before Stephen can take it. <laughs> All right. And then Old Wind Ways. You know, I got to say, too, I think half of what like half people on the Discord say, I'm like, man, are we the same person? I might just be on here with like five alts because <laughs> I feel like half of these thoughts are things I'm exactly thinking. But Old Wind Ways is disappointed in Inyash's stance on puns. One must revel in their terribleness. And then there yes. was some back and forth on like part of the exchange of a pun is that someone has to groan and hate it. And is it really a pun if no one's there to groan? <laughs> I mean, there's that, but that feels to me almost like performative groaning, whereas I actually usually dislike puns. But I don't know. I don't like... <laughs> no, no. You know what? I am holding stick fast to my, uh, to my feeling on puns. I do not like them. Uh, I understand other people like them, and I have a kind of a policy of not shitting on things that people like, so I, I'm not going to like make a big deal out of it or anything. But in general, I'm like, oh my god, why why are there puns in the world when there's so many other forms of humor that are not bad? Yeah, if they're not for you, they're not for you. You know, I exactly. I think that you know maybe you're making it too much of your character, like your your it's it's too much of your identity that you're you're right. so like anti. Do it show up on my character sheet. Yeah, as a as a virtue or at least or a, a, a trait yeah yeah um anyway so that's that's all that yes, and those are two things from the discord for this week yeah so i am dying to get into this so that we can finish so i can start the next reading absolutely let's move into chapter 16 all right chapter 16 opens up with oh this one's called kindly bones um he's sitting there reflecting on what we were talking about last episode about what a kind of slap in the face it is that that was the tutorial section and i love how many i got a handful of things right in my notes and in like previous episodes that come together for this you know not not giant things but um it was fun 
uh, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. But um, yeah, this is, he, he's just describing that like it was brutally difficult. Maybe this, and it, it's interesting. I think that he kind of oscillates going back and forth about thinking about like, this is a video game that I'm playing and this is my new life. And these are people I'm interacting with. He seems to flip back and forth, like without drawing a distinction about it. You know, he talks about this, how hard the tutorial was. He's like, maybe this game is meant to be played with like more lives or something. And, and it's like, what do you mean? Like that, that's an interesting thought to have, but then you go, you go on thinking like, oh yeah, this is a game. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, maybe it's made, what was his phrase? Like, uh, played with a gen- more generous number of deaths. Um, but then he's like, oh yeah. And then, you know, I got to m- make Fen feel like I'm not going to betray her or, you know, like treating people like people while also thinking about this as like purely a game, you know? Yeah. It's, I, it's, yeah, it, it can be hard. It's like, I don't know. If you think about you're playing with other people at the same time, that's different than if you're playing with NPCs, even if they, even if they don't have like a game controller on the other end, if they're still sentient other people, that makes a difference. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, I, I don't know what it would mean to play a game where the other people are sentient. I mean, I think that the second that the other people are sentient, it stops being a game. It starts becoming serious. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, you know, I, it will, I, I'm wondering, you know, at some point he'll philosophize on whether or not the people around him are sentient. And I'm curious what his thoughts and conclusions will be, but like, you know, I've developed affinities for NPCs before, you know, I was like, Oh no. Um, you know, this person died for the quest or something like, you know, that, that, that's those sort of things happen. But I, I imagine that if, you know, he, he's hanging out with these people for a long time and one of them gets murdered, he's going to probably not be like, Oh shoot, there goes my party cleric, you know? (laughs) Right. I, I think, I mean, I think a lot of it is just being there and interacting with the people and not being able to turn off the game. Like, if you start hanging out with someone for a long enough period of time, you you consider them a person. And I, I mean, this is like what helped with the gay rights agenda. This is like what reduces uh, racism in the world. Just exposure to other people and being around them and interacting with them, you eventually get to see them as people. And if if a like from his point of view, I guess it wouldn't matter necessarily if they were a a game script or something if they were part of his life and were undistinguishable from a real person i mean that's that's passing the turing test right that's what makes a person a person yeah they're not acting like uh even the most sophisticated video game characters in 2021 right yeah they're acting yeah. deeper than that so you know at at like i said in when in doubt i'll i'll treat people or new entities with the status of whatever sapient reflective being yeah. uh just because you know worst case scenario i've made an error uh where oh i thought that you know i should be nice to you because you were you know capable of noticing that you're being nice to not like a chicken or something right um and you know chickens even even then they have a diminished capacity for all that stuff but uh you know if if, if i didn't if at the end of the week i learned that i was merely being nice to a robot well i i'd rather have that than having Westworld my way through this game and only to learn that I'd killed lots of actual people. <laughs> yes. um, and by yeah. actual people, I mean, sentient beings. I, uh, I use people in, uh, that sort of sense. People which have uh, other people, the meat, the meat people that listen to the show will have to just deal with my vernacular. I'll yeah. try and clarify what up my terms though. <laughs> the Westworld situation, man, that's a funky one because the, I mean, the, the, all those people are, 
people in every sense that matters, except for the fact that they Groundhog Day loop at the end of every day. So, like, I guess you can do whatever you want to them, and in 24 hours, they'll be back to normal without the memories of what happened. I guess not a Groundhog Day loop, because they don't remember what happened in that day. But but they're stuck in a, a loop with amnesia, and that almost feels like it strips away your humanity, you know? There's... What what is there left of you if you are a real sentient person, but you just repeat the same twenty four hours over and over for eternity? Yeah, I don't know, it's, it's fucked up. Like no, the, that entire world is fucked up, which is why it's a horror series. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there was another instance of this that is more poignant, but I can't remember what it was. But this is similar to like Obliviation in Harry Potter, right? Yeah, you know, if you wipe out my last year's worth of memories, like. The, the person I am now is dead. I, I Not completely, because I'm not so different from me of last year that I am unrecognizable, but I've done a lot of whatever, growing and learning since. So like all that all that progress is just gone. Like, yeah, yeah, resetting people's experiences. Uh, uh, we don't have time to go down that rabbit hole anyway, because we have another rabbit hole to go down, which is yes. these have to be my favorite paragraphs of the story. I mean, uh, oh, you know what? Before we get into that, I remember a question I was going to ask. Let's see. He... Because you mentioned that he hasn't had a break. That made me think, he slept exactly once, right? Like they've had one night in this world? Yes. And it was yeah. kind of an abbreviated sleep because they were taking sh- shifts with doing a watch. I Yeah, so uh, my point isn't that he's tired. My point is that like he's been through a lot in a day. Um, yeah. This is, you know, yesterday morning he was being thrown from a plane. And today <laughs> and just- he's, he's landing in uh, the... Uh, the Baron, or excuse me, Baron Jewel, and cranking his way to to Superman, right? Yeah. So it's it's been a hell of a hell of a day and a half, right? <laughs> okay, so this eight paragraph parenthetical, which was uh, just a complete delight. So he he's thinking about what kind of choice he has and. Um, how much agency like how much agency is he's able to author right yeah like what if i done things differently and we right. can talk and about this he, as much as you are willing to uh engage me on it i would like to talk about it a fair bit he starts out with the um video game example and moves on to uh pen and paper rpgs later so i guess we could do the video game one first where he says uh, in video games usually you're faking the element of choice so that the player felt like what they actually did mattered, but generally the changes are cosmetic until you get to the very end, which is a thing that's kind of annoyed me about uh, video games for a long time. Is that's, that's true. And the very first time you realize that, it's like, oh, this is slightly less fun because what I choose doesn't actually matter. Um, but I don't know. That's, yeah. that's, that's just the realities of dealing with programmer time. Well, and it also depends, like what kind of uh, what kind of experience you're trying to get out of the game, right? Uh, you know, if you're playing Breath of the Wild and you plan on finishing it, one way or another, you're going to be getting to Hyrule Castle. If you're playing Red Dead Redemption, uh, unfortunately, one way or another, you're going to be walking out of that barn um, at the end of the game, and like that's just that. It, so, it, if if you're looking at games as like a storytelling device where you get to help write the story, that's kind of how I do it. You know, there are games that are more linear that are uh, that don't that don't really pretend to try and do the free world thing or the open world. And some some of those are amazing, like uh, God of War, the most recent one. Um, yeah, it was outstanding. 
uh, great story, but it, you know, it wasn't like, and you made the choices. It's like, no, you ran through and like watched six and a half hour, six and a, six and a half hours of cutscenes. Um, but it told an amazing story as it was doing it. So, yeah. So that's how video games do it. But D and D, you can get a wait, bit wait, more wait. creative. Oh yeah. Before we go through that, um, I yeah, there's a number of games. I remember Mass Effect and stuff where they try to give the illusion of choice, but you don't ever really have a choice. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But it was still a good game. But um, I did like how Fallout handled it in that each like little area that you come to each town has its own uh, two different or two, sometimes three different endings that you can have for that town. And so they get around the problem of of having, you know, endless complexity spiraling with every choice you make just by having the various different choices be unrelated to each other. So at the end, you get a collage of all the different things that you did. And it actually feels like you did make a difference, which is pretty cool. That's kind of cool. So can you be a just complete madman in one town and be the god of light in another town and get that as like a montage? Basically, yes. That's kind of fun. I know that in yeah. at least Fallout 3 and uh, New Vegas, it was sort of like an amalgamation of the kind of person you were throughout the game. Mm-hmm. And that, that, yeah, there that were, dictated the narration at the end. There were some things that like there had some reputational effects and stuff that would make it harder to go completely wild swing back and forth a lot. But like you could, for the most part, be a good person and just really fuck up one town if you wanted to or vice versa, just normally be an absolute asshole. But like you are the savior of this one town because I don't know, they were cool to you when you were a kid or something. I like it. Yeah. Fallout four, because they did voice acting for the protagonist. uh, They gave you a lot less choice like throughout the game. And of the four paths that you get to finish the game with, three of them are identical. And then one of them is basically the same as the other three, but you've got to just wipe out the other three instead of going the other way around. Um, It's that that's where it's like, there's, there's virtually no replay value because you don't get anything different when you play it the second time. But yeah. Anyway, did you ever play the first Bioshock game? Did I? Would you you kindly explain why you brought that up? (laughs) I will do exactly that because it plays with this, uh, the knowledge that we all have that we're in a video game and sure, we're supposedly running the action, but we aren't really. There is this levels that we're going to play through. There's these bosses we're going to beat. And uh, if we want to get to the end of the game, there's nothing we can do about it. And Bioshock had that fucking amazing scene where uh, it's it's revealed that every quest you had so far, it was uh, preceded by the words, would you kindly, which was a programming thing that was put into you uh, that would force you to do the thing. And the way he demonstrates this is asking you to, would you kindly beat the man in front of you to death, who was, uh, well, I don't want to give too many spoilers, even though this is already huge spoiler territory. And it just, the game takes away control from you at that point. And makes you beat him to death in a cutscene. And it was just really fucking good and a great way to play with the whole, you know, we're all murder hobos in video games kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) And during the the revelation, it does like a quick flashback of the 15 times that you were asked, would you kindly? And you're like, oh, I felt like I was choosing to do those things because I'm used to playing games. But yeah, exactly. It it ripped that away from you. Um, And so what I like about that, that ties neatly into the kind of choices you get in a tabletop. And then I just loved how far he climbed up the ladder here. So, you know, briefly, and tell me if I'm butchering this, but in tabletop, like, you know, if they want to go away from the town that you had everything planned in, 
then it's like, all right, whatever. I'll name the next, you know, I, I, you'll, I'll just do all that set, set up in the next town, or I can put something in your way, you know, like a wall of zombies or something. Uh, like there are ways to coerce them to do what you want. And I remember something funny too, when he said that uh, if the party doesn't want to go to comfort, then sure you can take that long road and they'll think you'll, you know, do whatever up there. But if you're a sneaky GM, you could uh, just make whatever you wanted to happen up the in comfort there. And heck, if the, if they never even saw a sign saying comfort, you didn't even need to rename the town. He didn't know it was called comfort until he accepted the quest from yes. Cyprus. Right. Mm-hmm. And at that point it was Cyprus because for all, you know, if he had decided, Hey, you know what? Fucking I'm going to go March West and just see what I get. Right. Then he might've bumped into a different girl that revealed herself to be princess Amaryllis Pendrag. Yeah. And so what I love about this is that it's, like that, and you know, he says that. Uh, what was his thinking? Um, you know, the death said, of- let, yeah. Let's say you wanted the player to meet an important princess from Anglican, the recent victim of some sort of something like a coup, and the main driver of the plot. What I would do is place her down right next to the player at the very start of the game, surrounded by zombies and yelling for help. If this whole thing was like a tabletop game, then a clever GM would have planned for me to see the first girl and for the girl to have been Amaryllis. But after I had run away instead of helping her, I'd been slapped with a penalty. And since I never knew a single thing about her, a different girl could have become Amaryllis instead, with the whole universe rewriting itself around the change. Come to think of it, I'd been slapped with a second cowardice penalty after not helping to not running to help a different girl, and it was entirely possible that if I had raced after her and found her attackers and fought her attackers, she would have, in time, revealed herself to be Amaryllis. And yeah, then he points out the thing that Amaryllis had used a fake name, so if he had just ignored that quest, the Amaryllis was still saved for the fourth person that he would have met. Right. And what's fun to think about too, and he doesn't acknowledge this, but this, you know, the one who turned out to be Amaryllis, whether through the actual way things shook out or, you know, through the manipulative design of the game, um, is also like unbelievably attractive, right? Yeah. To Th- June thus specifically. In- right. Exactly. It's, it's his type of girl. And so he's much less inclined to like run away from her or kill her and loot her, right? Yeah. So at this like, point, the it's, it's DM like, was maybe like, "Oh my God, he's not helping any ladies. I guess I have to make this his ideal dream girl." Exactly. Yeah. I wonder if anything like that was going. You know, I mean, it it seems like a that seems like a pretty good data point in the direction of yeah, you were being pushed to accept the uh, restore the princess to the throne quest line. Yeah. Yeah. And that that like that makes me think like how much. Do you even matter if the world's been built around you like that? Or or are you the only thing that matters? Like, what can you trust to exist in the world and not be for you specifically and made in a way to push you towards some outcome? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uncomfortable. Oh, I forgot my note that I thought was funny. I said that um, this is exactly the kind of head fuckery I was thinking about. And the idea that any of those women could have been the quest starting NPC and Marillas is so goddamn galaxy brained that it makes Mad Eyes Mad Eyes head spin, and I love it. Yeah, <laughs> um, that that's proper paranoia. But yeah, I mean, if if like, I mean, yeah, you're in as the rest of your note. This is what the Christ, this is the world Christians want. You know, if you believe yeah. that this is all part of God's plan, and like, and that there this is, is just the story of the universe. God. Yeah, yep, and that God is looking at you specifically because God cares about and loves you then everything kind of could be warped around you. I like, I, I've, I've met 
met is an understatement, been married to and had in-laws that very much felt like they were the center of a worldwide story of good versus evil. And God was looking at them specifically and talked to them specifically. And like, I mean, I guess it's a hell of an ego boost and all, but like, dude, to, to have the world actually revolve around you and your actions and what you're contributing to this fight against evil is that is the kind of ideal world for a number of Christians that, that take this sort of thing seriously. Yeah. I mean, you know, in, in this case, the, the DM doesn't necessarily even have to be benevolent or care about him. Right. It's just, you know, I also had this thought that like maybe June and I don't know, this should go on the, the clue list, but, or the prediction list, but it's not, it's more like a, just a galaxy brained uh, out there thought that this is just, June playing a D&D campaign where he wanted to, like he's like all right and my character will be a self-aware version of myself and oh. like this this so this is then him in that game and like right. you know this is what it would be like if I was self-aware in this game but not aware that I was playing a, you know of of the meta world above it um, yeah you know so the uh anyway what I was going to say is that the 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 benevolence of the DM isn't necessarily there it's just the fact that like yes uh Everything is preordained. Um, again, all part of God's plan, or this is the script that this was always going to go down. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah. It makes life weird, kind of like Neo in the Matrix, where you know, oh yeah, this is always going to happen. You're not special. Like this just happens, right? Yeah. So here was my thinking after I, I had not come up with this when I was reading it in, initially. This is due to like you know reading three chapters and went dead waiting for a week and sometimes stewing on them, but maybe. The point of the tutorial complete notice was like lots of times tutorials are much more limited and linear and you just have a few things that you are forced to do in order to like get uh, some game basics out of the way. Um, maybe like getting the tutorial complete message was kind of like the game's way of saying, yes, up until now we've been railroading you so you will get into the main game uh, and so you will learn the basics. But now your future isn't written for you anymore. Uh, we're not interfering. Go out into the open world and do what you will kind of thing. So, I like that. Yeah, it's possible. It's like it's like the rainbow at the end of the flood and God saying, I'm not going to fuck with you in this way anymore. It, it's, it would be positive if that was what was going on. I wonder, like, there's still quests, you know? So, like, you're right. He could just maybe set up a shop in Baron Jewel and start his Pokemon trading card or his, uh, yeah. his graphite company. Um, but like, it's, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess the only way for him to test that would be to try not doing something for as long as possible and just see what happens. But like yeah. the, yeah, you're right. That is how tutorials work, right? You know, I keep talking about the Elder Scrolls games. You've got to go through the opening thing and then you can just head West and land in the first town you find or in breath of the wild, you know, the game smartly starts you on top of a plateau that you will die if you jump off of until you get the hang glider. Oh, so, cool. And you get the hang glider at the, end of, at the end of the tutorial section. So it's a it's a cool way of like not putting up invisible walls that keeps you where you're supposed to be. Um, more and more, I think games are, are doing that and less and less are they just throwing up invisible walls, at least good ones. That said, there are invisible walls in the... Um, Breath of the Wild, but like, and I think in, you know, in every game, you know, unless they're going to have actual walls, but they're, they're way at the edges of the game. They're not mapping you to go down a certain path or something. Yeah. And actually we're going to talk about invisible walls pretty soon here when we get into talking about the city. 
Yes. So we're in the city. He's walking around and this is where he's like, all right, you know what? I'll, I'll ruminate later. Cause right now I'm looking around and looking at all these crazy, you know, there's a, a creature with chitinous plating and mandibles walking upright like a person. There's three elves. There's, uh, let's see. I mean, a turtle-like creature buying a jar of red powder from an otherwise normal woman with leathery wings folded across her back. I love and your comment about the turtle-like creature. I, it was well, I put in a note, it's well past midnight and I can't think of a good joke, but I was like, is it Mitch McConnell buying drugs from Melania Trump? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, oh, also, there was a toaster-sized cyan crystal floating down the street with purpose. And uh, he's like, he wanted to follow it. And I was like, dude, me too. Like, please spend a long time exploring this town. And then I said, All right, I'm calling it here. That cyan, that cyan gem toaster is the true mastermind of everything. Dun, dun, dun. That is not going on the list. If that turns out to be right, I want a dollar. Uh, okay. All right. Oh, uh, we also get a demerit for Fen here. Um, there's some homeless kids or at least beggars coming up asking for coin. And Fen eventually just slaps one around the ear. And, you know. So you give I, him a clap around the ear. That, that's what that means. Isn't that? Yeah, you, I don't know. Like, I, I when I think of slap, I think of like something with more force behind it. But maybe like a light slap or something. I don't know. I when I think clap around the ear, I think of where you cup your hand and like actually go for the ear to make that painfully deafening slap. You know, thunder noise. But uh, uh, in any case, I don't think. I, uh, I, I mean, that's not what I associate with clap around the ear, unless like you know, it's Sherlock in a fight. But. Maybe. That's exactly what I picture when I picture clap around the ear. Was Robert okay. Downey Jr. Sherlock? Yeah, <laughs> but you're right. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe normally... it's just a swat. In any case, you don't swat kids who are hungry. You either throw some of your apparently millions of dollars at them, or you whatever politely tell them to fuck off. But you don't hit kids. Come on. Well, I I mean sure, but in 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 certain situations, I don't know, like. Some there, there's a lot of places that just have pickpockets running around and you know distracting you, and then when you're you're like trying to tell one of some of them, no, I don't have money. There's someone behind you taking your stuff. I mean, totally. it depends on where in the world you are, and from the sound of it, Baron Jewel is one of those bad places where you don't necessarily want kids constantly running up and accosting you. Yeah, this is uh, what was the Aladdin town? Agrabah. Agrabah. Yeah, there's essentially that, right? So this is probably, they're swarming and, you know, then the one will be behind you trying to grab all your stuff. So that's definitely a possibility. But I'm mainly just because I think Fen's cool. So yeah. I, and you make you make a good point. I was going to say, you know, you wait till you notice you're being burgled and then you get to hit them. But, you know, they're, if they're good and they're practiced, you won't notice until it's too late. So exactly. Yeah. He and also, you pulled this out. Yes. Know, yeah, the, the, there's a like really tall humanoid thing walking stoop to keep from hitting the power lines crisscrossing above them, and like I keep freaking forgetting that we have tech, like to the to the point where there's power lines everywhere. Like I'm thinking of Agrabah. Agrabah didn't have no power lines. They didn't know electricity in the 1200s or whatever. But uh, but yeah, that's it's nice to have that reminder because otherwise uh, I would forget even more frequently. Yeah, then the next time they mentioned radio, I'd be confused because like we never get fantasy worlds that have radio power lines and magic and so it it's 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 also just kind of interesting to keep in mind like i guess you know electricity maybe not everyone can learn magic or wants to and maybe it's easier to plug in your toaster than it is to power it with the force um but yeah well we'll have to see uh he does so speaking about the invisible walls he's saying that it wasn't like playing a video game where you know there's npcs that block you and there's buildings that are just facades and doors that you can't open this is like 
walking around an actual city. And I never really think of it this way, but like whenever we walk around Denver, I guess technically we're physically capable of walking into any door that we see. Um, and even the locked ones we could like break into or whatever. Whereas like in a video game, you can't, they're just, there's a wall there and you will not get into that part because they didn't program the interior of that building. Right. But yeah, it, it would, that would, I don't know. That would just be kind of intense. I think. Yeah. Even it's just, though, like, it's just a treated... collision square in a game, but you know, yeah. in real life and here you're right. He could walk into any shop and do stuff. I didn't mean to yeah. cut you off, but no, I mean, I think part of that is because in video games, like if they actually make it a place you can go to, usually people are going to go in, loot it, talk to the, you know, try to pickpocket NPCs if that's a skill. And that's just, so they just make big facades to keep people on the storyline. And to make an actual realistic world, you'd have to make people notice when you're breaking in and make that a crime and then maybe send them to jail after a long trial. And it's just, <laughs> it's not worth all the effort, you know? The, the so. trials for breaking the law in the Elder Scrolls games is either get to, conf- you know, you either get to challenge the guards or flex your authority or just submit. You don't, there's no trial. <laughs> but you can't it's go to jail if you, if, you, if you don't refuse, if you don't resist arrest. Exactly. It's a trial by combat every time. That's right. Or you can say, excuse me, I'm the Jarl's Thane. I can do what I want. Oh, excuse me. I didn't know you were royalty. Well, by all means, go ahead and slap that person. Yes, please. So, uh, yeah, they find they make their way into a bone mage healer um, shop. And uh, Fen introduces them and says, my friend here was accidentally shot by a number of arrows by a party who shall remain nameless. And, uh, and June says, it was you. You were the one who shot me. <laughs> which I love and which I pull out specifically because I'm kind of Fen standing. And I just wanted to you know, point out that she's funny and awesome regardless of the kids she may have clapped once or twice. And that was a funny reply. And he also left her nameless. So, it, you know, technically the oh, person yeah. who shot him did remain nameless. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. The, it's like, oh, she makes it sound like an accident. It's like, no, you did it. Everyone, no, she, she did it. She shot me. Yep. <laughs> you were the one. <laughs> and so I think the, um, the bone mage uh, Borman was the one, the pale woman with black spots running from her ears down to her collar where they disappeared beneath her robes. And I'm like, ooh, yeah. a Dalmatian person. And the so, first thing I thought was Jadzia Dax from Deep Space Nine. Oh, see, I didn't see that, so I I need to get out more um, or stay I mean, in more. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. I think you are at the right amount of getting out for your demographic. Uh, is this a plague thing or like just in general? No, no, as in uh, you are not of the age where it was on TV when you were a kid, so you wouldn't have seen it. Oh, please. And sitting down to watch it now probably isn't. I mean, I don't want to say it isn't worth your time because it's a good series. But on the other hand, there's a lot of fucking things to do in the world. Eh, we're running out of shows. It's, I'll put it on the bottom of the list. All right. <laughs> okay. So so healing his three or something arrow wounds is going to cost half a million chur. And either healing is super expensive or currency is pointlessly small units and a donut costs 15,000 chur. Um, we find out later it's the latter. Y- yeah. Well, we don't find out what chur is because they're talking like some other unit of currency where it's like roughly a dollar is per unit. So I'm guessing this is like fractions of pennies, but then it seems like, why would I met, you know, if I go buy a donut, they don't say that'll be 108 pennies. Right. Oh, well, I mean, super uh, hyperinflation is a thing that can happen and does sometimes in certain countries. Right. But they have both units of currency in the same town. Yeah. I'm, I'm under the impression that in this town, there's probably a lot of different currencies going around. Huh? 
I, I guess I keep picture. I, I need to expand how big I think this place is. Uh, you know, I should picture something maybe more like uh, the entirety of whatever town in Tatooine where they take credits in some places or other kinds of money in other places or something. Oh, wow. That's just a tiny ass little. That's that's barely even a village in, in ta- on Tatooine. Yeah. Like I was literally thinking, you know, city like Denver sized. Yeah, I guess it still confuses me how, I mean, how annoying would it be to need to carry, you know, three different denominations of currency in your wallet and know the exchange rates just in case you cross the street and this deli doesn't take dollars, they take whatever Canadian dollars. Yeah. I would would think they could all just settle and pick a unit of money. Get get it together, people. Don't live in in Europe before the EU was formed. Fair enough. I mean, at least then you had to cross a border, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it wasn't like literally, you, again, I'm picturing just one bodega, you know, they only take this kind. Anyway, uh, they sit down to get to let the healing begin, which take about two hours, uh, which to me kind of sounds like a specifically, like a specific unit of minutes rather than, I don't know, it sounds, I, I can't put my finger on it. It sounds like it's either taking too long or like long enough that this is how long it would take in a game or something. Anyway, uh because the conversation does not go on like it's a two-hour conversation. It goes on like a 10-minute conversation. Yes. So anyway, he just dives in immediately. So I was looking, wondering what it took to learn bone magic. Um, and, you know, at at this point, I'm like, oh, smart. You know, you're gently inquiring so you can learn enough to start teaching yourself. And I like how he plays it up, too. She's she's giving the basics. And she's like, is my, t- is my talking calming you? Yes, I replied. So, ow, did you pull aspects of creatures from, your, from their bones? And like, he's just like, you know, playing it up at this point. He, he hadn't said ow once this whole time until this question. So he's just, I, th- I think he's just playing it up. He's like, oh yeah, it is calling me. <laughs> ow, yeah, my leg. Uh, can you tell me about the, you know, to distract me? Can you give me a deep dive on bone healing theory, doctor? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. yeah, we get some explanation of how this stuff works. And we also learned that it like, the first year of their uh, college, they don't even freaking learn anything uh, about using the bones. Like the first year is just understanding skeletal structures of various animals and whatever. And that, I mean, that feels a lot like regular college to me where half the shit that you learn does not matter and doesn't apply to what you're actually there to learn. <laughs> and I, I just think that they could probably use some kind of boot camp system in, uh, in Arab. Although, uh, from what we learned later, it sounds kind of like the Athenaeums have some sort of uh, monopoly imperial law lock on that kind of thing. And that would probably get you into trouble with the law. I wonder if they have a monopoly on all formal education or just like magic schools. Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, because I mean, it it seems like a great way to hustle. Like, you know, again, there's no reason you couldn't learn about, you know, he, he's showing her this is a rib. I'm going to use it to heal your ribs, right? That could have been the first lesson of her first class. And instead, they spend a year memorizing the names of the bones or whatever. And so, uh, although it apparently relates to their aspects, you know, maybe a foot bone can, you know, if, if, if I'm not looking to heal, but I'm looking to do something else, it's more useful to know what all of the aspects are of a foot bone. Sure, but like they have printing presses in this world, presumably if they have electricity and books, so, uh, lots yeah, of books, exactly. like bookstores. If yeah. you want to know what a foot does, bone does, you refer to your book. Yeah, I think that's fair. They could have, you know, done some prerequisite reading, and then you get to come in and start with your practicum right away. 
Yeah, they're clearly hustling to get you, you know, to a four-year or five-year program in this case, rather than just being able to finish the course in six months. Um, so she mentions that the chief aspect of healing is vitality. So for that, we select from resilient creatures. And I was like, oh, so I get. I guess this means that if you want to use bone magic for a physical power boost, you can use the bones of the strong animal. And I was like, huh, smart animals? And I was like, people? Exclamation point, question mark, for mental bone magic? Um, kind of hope not, but I yeah. don't know. Maybe well, if the it seems like it might sourced. be on the table. Yeah. Because So I was thinking that, and then she says, oh, anyway, so here I've got an eastern carrier goal and his ribs, which correspond to your torso. Um, and then... You know, his leg, which corresponds to your legs. And it's like, oh, that's what they meant by bones. So maybe not mental buffs. Plus, I don't know what, like, what bone would relate to cunning anyway. So this, but this one-to-one mapping is pretty cool. I was thinking he could use like uh, a strong fist bone for bone magic and then follow up with a blood punch to fuck somebody up without ruining his arm, which he doesn't do later. He just fucks up his arm. And so, um, you know, it's defense. He didn't know bone magic, but uh, I just imagined like, you know, if someone wants to dual wield these magics, you just keep like a pocket full of fist packs, you know, like uh, someone who might have like a roll of nickels to brace their fist with when they hit somebody. Um, instead, you've got a, uh, I don't know, what's a strong bone, like maybe a, a rhinoceros's femur fragment or something. I have no idea how much bone you need or whatever. That um, does sound pretty strong to me. Right. Anyway, so then she says strength, swiftness, vitality, intellect, blank and focus. And, I, and so, or she says it the other way, but I was like, oh, so it looks like bone, mind, bone magic might be back on the table. Yeah. But yeah. There's he, intellect and focus there. Right. And he maps it to like, oh, this a lot, sounds like a lot like my stats because she uses other words for it or whatever. Yeah. But power matches the strength, speed to swiftness, endurance to vitality. And like they, they were just all in neat little columns there. Right. So he asks about knowledge. And this is at the point where. Uh, um, Before. Before he asks about knowledge, I wanted to to like ask, does it like does it sound like the game stats are directly integrated into the physics of this world? Then, if if those are like the six things that you can draw out of bones, and there's the six stats on your sheet, yeah, it does. I I feel like we had other clues to that earlier that I kind of took it for a given, but I don't know why I thought that. I mean, other than the luck thing, which I guessed before, and turns out to be bizarrely just a random fact of nature that everyone's okay with. Uh, yeah. so like you know do they do they check elves or do they check people's ears for either points or scarification before they let them into casinos like it it seems like a oh. a, a weird uh, what, it, what would it even mean to live in a world with luck like yeah. that anyway so um it, yeah if luck is real it sure sounds like the game stats are the physics of the world which really is just how game worlds work right uh yeah you know, your your companions have a certain amount of carry weight, and so do you, and that relates to your endurance or whatever, and um, your aptitude just felt, in certain magics. I, I guess I hadn't quite internalized it yet, and it just felt weird to have, like, the physics that the universe runs on literally refer back to these single-digit numbers on basically a sheet of paper. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. It, it really is. I think uh, maybe it was just implicit for me because I've been running like full on video game logic this whole time. But it's, uh, you know, if I had seen that question before we recorded, I would have thought of some like, just like, all right, let's think of abuses for this. Right. Um, but I'm sure we'll get there. So, uh, but it does ask about knowledge. Cause that's the blank in the, his one-to-one mapping for like the, the things they pull out of bones versus his character sheet, uh, 
Rose and she's like, Oh, you know, uh, Oh, you've heard the stories. And I was like, Oh snap. Um, Mm -hmm. Apparently it's, Oh, that's just rumor and myth. It's impossible to, you know, really extract knowledge because it's fleeting. You know, the, the, the stuff happens, the, the power of the channeling goes right through. Right. So sure. You could, you could memorize the, you could, you could see, you know, the flash of their life, but then it's passed, passed on. But yeah, there seems to be something there, and there's no way this won't be a thing that happens, right? It seems like a checkup's gun. Oh yeah, it's it's sitting there, nice and shiny, just waiting to be fired. <laughs> um, so let's see. Oh, this is another thing too. Uh, so when he asks about that, that's when Amaryllis kind of cuts in, and it was like, oh, you know, uh, um, maybe you should shut the fuck up because you're about to get blow your cover. Uh, mm-hmm. Rather, she says, hey, if you have any questions, you know, maybe hold off. And I like this too. The doctor was enough of a professional that she didn't question someone coming in with multiple arrow wounds and just, you know, continues to work without comment. Um, yeah. So then he sits back and per his usual thing, he lasts about five minutes before he's like, how can I learn to become a bone mage? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and so apparently we, we learned about like this, you know, weird law that the colleges have where you can only learn from the colleges and he completely misses the joke. So Amaryllis goes on to explain it at length. Uh, which I don't know, basically sounds like I abridged it pretty well. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's the accreditation. So if you're hiring a bone mage, you know, that they're, uh, whatever licensed and bonded by the state. So, uh, it, it keeps the the profession legitimate, but it also keeps people out. Yeah. And the fact that he didn't know that was about to like blow his cover or something. Yeah. Cause apparently that's the most obvious thing in the world. So it's, you know, that's one of the things though, like, you know, in a game, you get dialogue options and you get stupid dialogue options, but none that get you killed. Well, no, that's not true. Um, but you know, it, it, it would just have to be a very punishing game where pressing X instead of, instead of, uh, you know, B or circle or whatever to pick a certain dialogue option. Uh, yeah. But you know, in, in a it, game, your if you pick the wrong one, you just get killed and that's your, they delete your save file. Right. <laughs> right. But in a game, the character you're playing is presumed to already have some knowledge of the world and so knows what not to say. Whereas like June's character, I guess just had all knowledge of the world erased from his brain. So he's in a much more precarious situation than most games that we play. Yeah. I mean like the, the, I mean, I'm not sure if you ever had the knowledge or if he had it wiped or what, but like the, you know, like fallout it's, you know, since you, in most of them emerge from a vault 200 years later or something. Um, oh, yeah. You tend, you tend to be kind of in this, you know, fish out of water situation, but you don't get killed asking, you know, talking to your first NPC, asking the wrong question. It's more like you give the wrong option, you know, when you could potentially talk your way out of a situation. Anyway, this game is super punishing. Um, yes, exactly. And so there was, oh, she, uh, then they want to heal um, uh, Amaryllis's hand, which for some reason was some ridiculously low price compared to the arrow wounds. Um, I forget the number, but maybe it was 50,000 or something or 15. It was some really small number compared to the, to all that business. Um, let's see, what does she say it was? Cause now I'm curious 50,000 to heal the wounds. Half of that. If you, t- if you tell me what it is, I can make an assessment and they won't tell her how sh- she got the wounds. Cause she's like straight up like, nah, I'll, I'll, uh, tell the guards what I know with, with only the slightest pushbacks. So, uh, uh maybe it's just a lot easier to, uh, to ramp up the immune system than it is to super accelerate the healing of, you know, puncture wounds. I don't know. 
I'm guessing that she's also going to heal the hand, though, too. Um, you know, heal the scratch and the burn, but it is what it is. Uh, maybe, you know, there's there's fewer organs nearby and all that, so... Um, Didn't she say that she couldn't heal part of it? Well, she can't She can't cure the rat rot. Oh, okay, okay, got it. Could, could, oh, that was another thing, too, yes, that none of them had ever right, heard yeah. of it. Yeah. And so, it's interesting, like, in Elder Scrolls, I should probably play more games so I can reference other games. I have played more, but these are at the front of, front of my mind. Uh, if you're walking around with whatever... There, there's something equivalent of rat rot. NPCs will notice and be like, oh, it looks like you got a case of rat rot. You should go see one of the healers. Like, you look like you've got X disease. You, you don't catch stuff that no one's ever heard of. And so it's interesting that he, the game layer indicated to him a name that the world isn't aware of, or at least not somebody who was college educated in medicine. <laughs> well, we don't know how far away this place is from uh, Silmar City since they did the teleportation thing. Maybe the disease just isn't around in a desert environment that's a good point i guess and we're also not sure where she got her education or you know if you if you can only get rat rot from a uh, a rat umbral zombie pile then yeah. certainly it's not going to be probably the kind of thing that they burn a lot of time teaching you at at school um yeah. oh okay so speaking of the teleporter i forgot to write this down at any point over the last week and i kept thinking of it and i'm glad i remembered so the smartest way for them to get to wherever it is they're going that they'll talk about in the next chapter, um, like they should just march all day through the desert, teleport back to their bedroom at uh, the uh, whatever the hotel they've got in Baron Jewel. And then that morning, they teleport back to where they were in the desert, walk for eight more hours, then teleport back to the hotel room and lather, rinse, repeat till they get there. They don't need to prep for this 400 mile walk across the desert, right? They can just do it in, in day long bursts and get nice rest in their bed. Obviously, there's the risk of like being noticed teleporting in and out of their room, but they could find you know maybe set up a camp somewhere safe and then make that their their home base to jump in and out of. Anyway, I just want to throw that because I think that'd be a like a super awesome way to kind of just abuse the system of not wanting to again manage all that risk through the the whole desert. I agree. That would be tight as hell. And you know, if you're doing if you go back to town, you could take it. Doesn't have to be just the night. You could take a week off. You know. Yeah. All right, that was a nice hard week walking through the desert. Let's uh, go to the spa and rest for a few days and get a nice meal, you know. Anyway. Get healed up. Exactly. All right, so this chapter ends with, you know, Fen. Maybe, it's, oh, you know what? Maybe it's just luck that she shows right back up on time. Um, so ah. she she shows up right as the conversation's ending, which sounds like a great cutscene thing, but this is not the only time they do this. So, you know, honestly, making luck a mechanic of the game kind of just lets the the author get away with, like, you know, anytime I'd be like, wasn't well, that convenient? It's like, yes, it is. And just like be <laughs> fully in on it. Right. Yeah. Um, anyway, so there's just a little last thing where uh, apparently Borman graciously offered to toss out his old clothing and then they were on their on their way. My paranoia says that he should have disposed of the clothes himself, but I suspect Emeralis would have insisted they take the clothes if Borman could do anything with them. Like, I don't know, extract his memories from his blood or something. Right. Yeah. Or clone him and then interrogate the clone. Yep, Adam Rulis would have definitely been on top of that shit, in yeah. my opinion. And Borman seems like on the up and up, you know, like, hey, I'm here to make a living. And yes, I will bend to the guard's will because I'm not here to, to rock the boat. She doesn't strike me as somebody who's doing, you know, black magic in her basement at night. So, right. <laughs> and maybe oh, I think she said even something about like being returned customers or something, which is funny. I hope they come back there and be like, yep, <laughs> we're back. They could come back the next day, right? Yeah, or more rare ones. Yeah, yeah. He, they don't even get to. They don't even get to to rest before he breaks his hand and you know ruins his feet on the dirt. So, 
Yeah. Oh, this is delightful. She's like, you guys are my new favorite customers. I'll give you here. I don't usually do this, but here's Discount. a uh, yeah a rewards card. You know, for, <laughs> for every 10 bones you, you, I heal, you get the 11th one free. Yeah. All right. We're on chapter 17, voting blocks. Voting blocks indeed. Um, so this is something I pulled out at the very beginning. Well, not the very, very beginning, but um, Fen is thinking about them as a group. And uh, she kind of points out that their theme, if they were to have a theme, because I guess that is a cultural thing for her, uh, is that they're all displaced in some way. Uh, that she is, uh, she's, you know, estranged from both her peoples, since she isn't either one of them. And June is supposedly from out of this world, and Amaryllis has been kicked out of her royal society. Um, and I like, I kind of thought that was, that was cool that she noticed that and that's true. And, you know, thinking about it, I guess parties and RPGs and characters and novels, they are indeed usually unified by some kind of cosmological purpose like that, since the DM or the author is basically God and can make that happen, which, you know, lends, kind of lends some, some weight to the idea that, uh, that, you know, this is, I don't know, something planned out for June, but... Um, well, it also just seems to be the kind of way this world works. I mean, she throws around these these dumbass made-up words that she refuses to, like, provide a... Uh, and I'm, I express my irritation because uh, she's dropping all this vocab and then not explaining it. Like, you get it from context. Uh, Karas seems to be, like, uh, the the cosmological, like linking and they're they're linked by their purpose which is the womp eater um but like what's funny is that she doesn't feel the need to i mean she i guess maybe she's struggling with the translation but she doesn't you know bother to try and explain what the hell she's talking about to june who she says has brain damage and so (laughs) um but what's fun is that uh like it it might point to the this is a game thing um you know, this is because that's how games work, but it also is just a fact of the world. And that's the kind of meta shit that like is purely delightful. Uh, yeah. Again, he can get away with stuff. You know, we get to ask, well, like, you know, it seems, you know, why would they all want to travel together, you know, and do this thing? Isn't that like a little convenient? How, you know, how, how much are you going to push this into being just a D&D campaign? It's like, ah, but that's a thing that happens. And so if it's not just them, but you see other, you know, wandering tribes of murder hobos, like you just get that, like, that's what's going on. Oh, they're they're on their their own quest because they've all got a theme, and clearly their theme is murder hoboing or something. And so, uh, yeah, so it's fun. Here's, here's a thing about those two words that you pulled out, and like they really stuck out to me too because they're goofy looking, kind of dumb words almost, and and they like tickled something in my head, but I couldn't remember what, and I was like, okay, whatever, I don't know. Um, it was pointed out to me that those words are um tenants of uh Boconoism, which is a made-up religion that uh Kurt Vonnegut made up for his book uh Cat's Cradle, which is one of his most famous books. I'm mean, probably Slaughterhouse Five is more famous. Uh but anyways, she basically used them exactly in the way uh it's used in that book as part of that religion. And like June doesn't comment on this. So I don't know if if Boconism is a real religion in this world. I guess maybe it was just something like in June's subconscious that he'd read this book once and it was in there, but he uh, he forgot about it the same way I forgot about it, so he didn't comment on it. Or 
maybe it's literally just you know like an easter egg that the author throws in for uh for readers that is not supposed to refer back to a, a book written in our world the best thing is that it's it it can be both like yeah it you know so it it seems like yeah so that's cool that's an easter egg i haven't read uh the book you just mentioned because i just blanked on the title of it um cat's cradle thank you cat's cradle uh so the the religion aspect, I don't know. She said it's an elf cultural thing. Not that it's like a religion. Plus, we we get the impression from we got the impression from Amaryllis that religions are organizations based around the gods, and oh, you're the right. gods literally live on mountains or in the ocean or whatever. And yeah. so these just so this wouldn't to, be a religion. It's more of a culture. It's well, it's just a thing. Apparently, you know. Again, if it is an, if they actually have a cosmological purpose, which I'm, you know, ordinarily right. I'd, I'd wave my hand and say, you know, no, thank you. But I mean she has luck. So, you know, all right, yeah. I definitely 100% am on board with your cosmological purpose talk because everything is on the table now. Um, so either June read Cat's uh, Cradle and didn't think to mention it to himself because, oh, I knew that. You know, he's, you know, he wouldn't think everything he knows to himself. Or the ma- person who made the game has read Cat's Cradle and threw in some, you know, uncreative uh, vocab at, well, quote, uncreative in the sense that uh, Ern is also uncreative, right? Right. Um, or Erb, the, Erb the name yeah. of the, the name of the planet. And so, you know, I don't know if this is on the list or not, but like it's it's entirely possible that someone else from June's group made this game. Um, okay. Only some of the aspects of the world are things that he is aware of. And if he had authored all of it, he would be aware of everything. Uh, yeah. You know, not necessarily everything, but every big thing. You know, uh, maybe unless, you know, he made the game 500 years ago and 500 years have passed. Um, but even then, too, some of the, the vocab drops and this phenomena whereby magical artifacts come into existence. You know, he'd be aware of those. Uh, anyway, yeah, that is fun. And I like how that's that's uh, um, a nod to a real world thing, which can be a nod to our world where June's from. And it's all as meta as you want it to be. Um so speaking of her uh, knowing some fancy vocab and I guess thus being educated, um, she also has the really smart idea of, hey, you know what? Let's take a bath and go to bed because this has been a long fucking day. And uh, with let's let's plan in the morning with some sanity restored. Um, or was that Amaryllis who said that? Uh, I feel like it was something that um, Fen would say. In any case, either one, smart lass. Uh, you don't you don't make serious decisions under cognitive fatigue. Um, and I think that, uh, oh, there was the drive by joke where she threw at him. Oh yeah. Like, look at us. What do you have in common? We've got a princess, a looter and someone with brain damage. Um, and so I, I, I also strongly recommend that he lay low long enough to pass as a non-brain damaged person who knows enough not to ask dangerous questions. Yeah. You know, like, is it going to be boring for Fen? Cause you know, she seems to be able to sit still less than, than June. Sure. But, uh, like, all right, we're going to well order in takeout or whatever. And we're going to sit in this room and I'm going to just tell you enough of how the world works to where you don't put your foot in your mouth and throw us in jail. So I, you know, although is being dream skewered a crime? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I guess it would attract a lot of attention because there's perhaps a thousand, right? So, you know, if, if it came to the attention of anybody that there's a dream skewered here, people would be looking into them. And, and then they might find out that they have a nearly priceless magical artifact in their possession. And a princess. 
And a princess, yes. And a guy who can't keep the keep his mouth shut about you know his game layer. So yeah, <laughs> um, and he just levels up in front of people now and then. Right. Uh, you know, I mean that's kind of fun too. Uh, someone could maybe coerce a level up out of him if I, it's hard to think of what contrived thing you know like his interrogators would have to do or something to you know like hey look we're gonna make him level up to prove to you uh whatever the duke that he's up to stuff um that would be hard but not impossible uh i don't know like how do you give someone can't just kill people in front of him yeah because that wouldn't count as his xp no but like they could uh Oh, you're right, because he—I don't know if he gets experience for leveling up his his skills or not, or if he just gets it for killing people or combat-related things. I was going to say because you know they they could kind of like you know crouch and whatever and let him, but I, I don't know, you know, try and cheese some of the de- uh, deception or something, right? But I'm not sure if that, those actually reward experience or not. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> like how she says too, you probably noticed I'm half elf, <laughs> yeah. um, and then. She says Earth wrong. She says uh, Earth. Earth. Yeah. yeah. Which also like struck me as weird when she did it. But I was like, okay, maybe she just mispronounced it. But then like she does it again later. And June like asks her about it again. And she like totally blows him off, doesn't answer. But like that's this struck, does strike me as kind of weird. Like why is she intentionally mispronouncing it? And also like I couldn't find anything about Earth when I Googled it. But I swear to God. God, I've sometime in the recent past read some sort of novel or story or something where there were multiple layers of reality and one of them, like, one of them, like, the the world that the Fae came from was called Earth instead of Earth or something. Ah, I don't know if, like, maybe it's some kind of mythological reference or what, but but I want to know more. And I mean, I'm upset that, that she didn't answer him. Well, yeah, um, I, I like that. Yeah, I didn't. It, it sounds familiar to me too, but it also sounds like Earth. If it's from a an, a uh, our Earth story, and you know she's already shown that some of the knowledge in her head comes from stories in our world, uh, it could be that's where she she thinks that's the correct pronunciation. I, I'm getting that she's just pronouncing it like human. You know, she mispronounces human over and over. Ah, uh, okay, I think yeah. I think she's just trolling because it's funny and she knows it bugs him. Okay. Uh, did, but, wait, what what did she know that stories that came from our earth? Well, she doesn't know the stories, but if if uh, the term uh, Karas and Womp Eater um, ah, okay, from okay, Cat's Cradle, gotcha. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, I don't think she's read those books, uh, but the, the that knowledge has has worked its way into this world. And so, if it could be that whatever story Earth comes from has also leaked its way into her culture or something too. Got um, it. Yep, could be. I, I also so he just after after that whole tirade he raises his hand and he's like can I ask why you're pronouncing Earth wrong on purpose which to me is like the least important question and I'm like can you explain your local vocab terms to me the oblivious one who has brain damage <laughs> like can you slow down and define your terms please like I get it it's boring to to add a whole extra ten words to your sentence or to your whatever exposition here but come on help me out yeah. um, all right we're so, uh, I think they're they're basically talking like do we want to be a proper party and mm-hmm. We don't have a quest, but Amaryllis does. And yes. So th- that's kind of where this, this talk is going. Yeah. Do we want to follow her quest when she's going to profit a lot out of this? And I mean, it's not like they're doing anything else with their time. Yeah, that's true. But also, they're going to have to risk their lives, it sounds like, to follow the quest. Oh, yeah. You, at some point, you ask, what's in it for me? But it's, it's not like they have anything better to do. So it's, you know, I guess as long as it's a paying job and it pays roughly more than I think I could get doing something else. 
you know, hey, for if for no other reason, I'm in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Fen at some point uh, during all this says that I love surviving with only my wits, my luck, and my grossly overpowered bow, which is a great line. I I kind of doubt that she loved it that much because that sounds like it would be kind of a hard scrabble existence. But on the other hand, I can also see like the attraction of the like the adrenaline and the being badass and managing to to you know always be victorious against zombies and other kind of shit like that that you uh th- that's a rush you know so maybe she did kind of love it in some way i think at the very least she loves her grossly overpowered warbo which <laughs> yes. i love that she calls it that you know she she doesn't say and my my artifact or my my weapon she she admits like just straight up like oh yeah this thing's like grossly op like game breaking bad and yet i get it so you know she's she probably does love firing that thing um I'm not sure. I wonder where the arrows come from that turn into the multiple arrows. Uh, it's clearly they asked. He asked how many she had left. Either it's a spell that works on the bow, or like the bow has to, you know, only does that six times a day. Which now that I think about it, that's going to be my guess is that it's not the arrow that she puts in it. It's something that the bow can do x number of times per day. Yeah, uh, kind of like the teleporter where it works every two hours. Yeah. And so, but other than working, instead of working on like a time window where the bow fires a hundred arrows, you know, once every two hours, you know, any 24 hour period, for example, it can fire that six or 10 times. Right. Or maybe it is just like every two hours it gets another charge and, you know, she's just like, well, I've used up these many charges since we got into this city. So this is how many I got left. Oh, another charge. Yeah. I, I guess the last thing is that they stack in a way that the teleporter doesn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. You don't get two teleporters teleports out of the teleporter if you use it after four hours, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I wonder oh, if there's yeah. a max that it can stack to. There's probably a max, like can charge oh, yeah. up to six or something. Yeah. Like yeah, it'd just be cheating if if she could take a week off and then stack up a hundred. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a it's a grossly overpowered, but it doesn't want to. You don't want to totally ruin the game mm-hmm. slash the slash the world. I mean, if they stacked and she just wanted to take you know six months off and never shoot it. She could siege a city by herself. Like, <laughs> that would be awesome. I I would look forward to her doing that at some point. Yeah. Um, all right, so she she pulls out that she wants to like hold on because she's thinking like God, it's knowing having no, somebody here has no idea what's going on. But then she's like, wait, you don't know any of my jokes, and she goes to tell him, Have you heard the one about the duck who walks into a bar and asks about grapes? Mm-hmm. And like, okay, so she doesn't give us a punchline. Do, do you have any idea what the punchline of this could be? Oh, yeah. I know the punchline. Uh, oh, what's the punchline? Well, so her version is probably, like you said, the pet rock, where it's the, the secret meaning to everything. But Yeah, um, that we don't learn until about the second to last chapter of this book. Exactly. <laughs> no, so so the, the joke on our Earth goes, uh, uh, Duck walks into a bar. It's not a, it, you're going you're gonna to have a great time. Duck walks into a bar and asks, do you have any grapes? And the bartender says, no, we don't serve grapes. Get out of here. And the next day he comes back. He says, hey, do you have any grapes? And he's like, no, I'm sick of you asking. Get the hell out of here. Third day he comes back and he says, hey, you got any grapes? And he says, no, I'm serious. If you if you bug me again, I'm going to nail your beak to the door. So then he comes back the next day and he says, hey, you got any nails? And the bartender says, no. Great. Got any grapes? <laughs> cool. So that, that is it, a good one. <laughs> what, what's funny is you, you, can, you can make it as long as you want. And yeah. kind of like, it's one of those like, painfully delivered jokes i've got a couple more like that but they would ruin completely the the audio of the episode um anyway i wonder if her joke was that version or not but all right so uh 
then they're talking about how much their artifact is worth. And I like, so June is finally like got a minute to breathe here and gets to ask questions and there's time for answers, which is just like, uh, you know, we've been dying for this. What's, what's amazing is that we've been dying for this. I don't know. Well, I have for like what a month um, because I've been reading this slow, but for June, it's only been a day and a half, but it's been a really long day and a half. And uh, it's, it's nice that he finally has the time to do what we've all been dying for, which is, you know, can I ask you some questions, please? And we only get, you know, the abbreviated stuff. We don't get to sit down and read any of the books in the world or whatever. Um, that's what they could do. There's got to be books in Baron Jewel. Yeah. Like, hey, here's a book on the history of the, you know. Uh, oh, just uh, make him read? God, yeah. I'm trying to think of a, of a funny fantasy name for Stephen Hawking, but I can't, right? But How fucking you know. boring would that be, though? You're in this awesome video game world, and your mission is to read a bunch of textbooks for the next week or two or whatever. Sure, but if Just you got to read eight hours a day, if you got to read like Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Nearly Everything, yeah, like, that doesn't sound like a bad afternoon. And then you get a brief history of nearly everything of how everything they understand about physics. And I mean, you could do I, a, a I short guess, history. Yeah. But, but just outside, there's a turtle man talking to a woman with leathery wings. Like, I'd, I'd want to go out and check that shit out. Yeah. It, it, you'd have to, you'd have to, to even out your time somehow, but. I I maintain that if I got to read about a completely novel version of physics in a world that I'm quickly ascending to godhood in, um, it might not be the wor- worst use of your of your time. Especially too, you know. All right, fine, Emerilus. I'm going to read one of your stupid history books for every five magic books you let me read. Uh, you know, if you could work out some deal like that for the education. But okay, so we've got uh, this. I just put three exclamation points before I started typing out my my stuff on this. So. All right, let me find the setup for it. It was like, oh, who cares? It was, uh, okay. Um, I mean, so they're, they're trying to think of ways to extract money out of the, the teleportation device. And it's like, okay, well, uh, she and she's, Amaryllis is devel- you know, delivering to Fen. Like, look, see, he's been in the world for three days and he can already see the inherent problems. Like, he he gets, like, we, it's worth the time to invest in teaching him because Fen thinks it's boring because why learn when you can go shoot stuff? And, yeah. uh, she says, okay, you need a very brief education. And I guess what I thought she meant is like, we're going to hunker down for a couple of weeks and educate you. I guess what she meant was this one fucking paragraph. So, <laughs> but it's a great but, paragraph. So right before we get into the paragraph, like you were saying, Fen didn't want to do this. Uh, she, a sense uh, the line is I nodded and Fen laid back on the big bed before saying fine. And I, I just, I wanted to pull that out because like Alexander Wales knows how to write an attractive person. Like, that was really cool. That was the kind of thing that was like, I like Fen and I want to date her because that's just like an attractive character trait to be so, you know, just so in feeling like you're in control and safe in a situation. They're just like, ugh, and you lay back on the bed and you're like, fine, go ahead. Like, it's, I don't know. I, I think, I almost think like he was intentionally trying to not write Amrillis as attractive earlier and I'm not sure why because he can totally do it. I mean, he doesn't say, you know, and her areolas looked great next to her, you know, like there's, he, he avoids the same physical description stuff. Yeah. Um, but like, this was, this was like a character trait that is, is attractive that, or at least I find it attractive. I don't know. Oh, character trait versus character stuff. And I, and I jump straight to areolas because I think it's funny. Like it, like 
if you're going to go on describing how pretty someone is, I would not start there, right? You start with the no. curvature of the cheek or something. Anyway, I, I took it. I'm glad that it, you know, that that's just part of the fun of two people reading something. I read that as her being, you know, a petulant but adorable child, um, you know, or not child exactly, but, te- you know, teenager. Um, yeah, I, I, I could get with petulant and adorable. That, that sounds that sounds really cool. Yeah, I guess it it's... It hit me with a slightly different vibe, but it is fun and it is characterizing for her. Um, all right, so here we go. This is okay. this is insane. Sometimes, Perfect. for reasons that no one really understands, one of these artisans... Oh, I guess uh, there are artisans here like on Arab who make all manner of things. So once in a while, these artisans, for reasons no one really understands, will go into a forge frenzy where they're overcome by a very particular idea and become dead set in pursuing it to the exclusion of money, reputation, family, sleep, food, etc., once they're finished, they come out of it, and sitting on the workbench or whatever is this thing that they don't—they don't—they uh, didn't actually know how to create, drenched in otherworldly magic and utterly forever unique. These are the end tads. You've seen two of them so far: Fen's bow and the teleportation key. Hell yeah! So, so that I don't is know how magic artifacts are made. Yes, and I mean, it seems like you know, there's no reason why you couldn't just do a regular enchantment on a sword. This is how you make unique artifacts. Or at least um, un- ir- unreproducible artifacts. You know, there's a thousand teleporters, but there's not. There'll never be a thousand and one, right? Well, yeah, but she said all thousand teleporters were made at one time in one forge frenzy. Right. That's my point. Is that so? I mean, they're not unique because there's a thousand, but they're they're you know oh, they're, they're not, never to be. Yeah, another one. Yeah, made. they're not they're not ex- they're not explicitly one of a kind, but they are one thousand of a kind, and there will never be one more. Uh, that is amazing. And that's so cool. And I don't know what exactly would cause this, right? So if it's, if it's a game thing, it could be like June inventing something for his D and D session. And because this world actually exists and he's accidentally the God of it or something and making it, then he's like, Oh, you know, you know, when you get to this place there we teleportation keys and then someone in the world has to go nuts and start making them <laughs> because yeah. they need to exist for the game. The The main data point against that particular explanation is that he doesn't know the details about the teleporter or Fen's bow. And so, like, it's it's not exactly that, but it might be something like that. But in any case, this is just the coolest thing ever. And yeah. again, they live in a world where, like, this is just a thing, thing that happens sometimes. Yeah, you know, right. if, Every now and then if, someone just goes nuts for a week. Yeah, if you happen to be an artisan, there's just a non-zero, there's a non-zero chance every morning that I'll wake up to go down to, to have coffee and you'll be there just like, you know, slamming things together on the table because you need to make this one of a kind, uh, I don't know, boots of Icarian flight, right? Um, yeah. Uh, the, the boots of Icarian flight were from uh, Morrowind and you find them fairly early on when a guy falls out of the sky and dies. Um, it, <laughs> do, it, do they have a thing where if you get too close to the sun you fall out of the sky and die no but they increase your jumping by like 3,000 or 30,000 percent or something okay but they don't increase your fall resistance <laughs> and so they're, they're completely Perfect. pointless until you find a way to reduce uh, fall damage but it's hilarious because you just hear this guy yell and then land and then you go pick off these boots and it's like oh that's how he did it and if you're very careful you can like jump to the top of a mountain or something but Usually you want to combine it with a falling potion. Uh, anyway, so, but that's the thing. Like, this is like, it, it's kind of like how in, um, uh, I mean, really any movie with any fantasy thing in it, whether it's like Avengers or I just watched uh, Godzilla versus Kong last weekend, which is exactly as good as you think it would be. Um, so 
you know, if you want to watch a big monkey punch a big lizard, it's hilarious and awesome. But like, there's no plot. The plot it's just a fun action thing. Anyway, yeah. uh, th- but there's there's just the fact of nature that oh yeah, once in a while Godzilla just attacks. Like, you know, so at, at some point in the movie, he's like ravaging Florida or something. And it's like, oh, yep, there goes that that god lizard that occasionally ramp, rampages cities. Well, like, what can you do? I mean, you put it on the news. It's it's a national tragedy, but it's just a thing that happens. Like so many just uh, to us, reality shattering things are just like boring facts of history that every kid knows. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Elves win coin tosses and, uh, you know, um, entads. Also, I feel like I've seen that word somewhere before. Really? I don't know why. It could be completely unique. I have no idea. Um, I, I pulled it out because as far as I know, it's unique. When I Google for it, I don't find anything that is remotely, you know, fantasy related. Yeah. And like, I I just really love the fact that uh, Alexander finally created a, just a unique word for magical artifact. Like everyone knows like magical item, magical artifact, magical sword, whatever. But like, if if you had a universe that actually had a fair number of these, it makes sense that there would be a unique noun for what that sort of thing is. And so he made one. And this is this is the first time I've seen one in a fantasy world, at least one that I can remember. And uh, I think that's a huge oversight on all fantasy writers' uh, parts before, um, before this. For not thinking of anything more interesting than the word artifact? Yeah. Yeah. No, I like it. Um, all right. So... Yeah, I guess, I mean, I, I, I don't have much more to speculate on that other than, like, this is one of the coolest things we've read so far about how this world works. Um, and, again, this this just happens, she just says sometimes. You know, I don't know if that means once a month across the planet or once a century or something, right? But, yeah. uh, you know, Fen's bow is is grossly overpowered. The teleportation key is insane. Like, what other stuff happens like this? Mm-hmm. And... It, it, you know, if it works out to where June ever gets any level of control over the game, can he just make somebody make him? Uh, I, I'm going to reference Oblivion one more time, and then I'll try not to for the next five minutes. There's a, a spell. So you can do invisibility, but the downside to that is that anytime you interact with anything, it breaks invisibility. So if you open a door or hit somebody, your invisibility is gone. There's a spell called Chameleon that, uh, like, to a certain percentage, will make you a little harder to, to detect. So kind of like I, I kind of picture like the Predator from the Predator movies. Um, cool. But, you know, usually the artifacts put it at like something like 20 percent is probably one of the best ones you can find in the game unless you know how to enchant it yourself and you can uh, take some you know potions of increase enchanting and whatever. And then you can enchant all your armor with Chameleon, getting you over 100 percent, making you undetectable no matter what you do. Oh, cool. So anyway, if he got a shirt that did that for him, that'd be awesome, right? Yeah. So that's that's the kind of just like again, if there's any sort of way for anyone to control what sort of stuff generates entads and gets to pick whatever random bullshit game breaking properties they want. Oh yeah, this bow yeah. it shoots a hundred arrows. Um, this thing, yeah, teleports. Uh, you know, this one, yeah. If you wear it, you're you're basically you're undetectable. Um, yeah. Like that that would just be uh, wild. Anyway, it, it would be an amazing power. Yeah, totally. All right. So they're talking about uh, the the quest to Kyrlaga, Saralaga, however you want to say it. Um, yeah, that, which this is, is where uh, this is. Oh, yeah, oh go, sorry, ahead. go ahead. Oh, OK. Well, uh, yeah, it's uh, an old ancestral, um, I don't know, home or or uh, 
holdings or something. It's it's a big fortress out in the middle of the desert that was owned by her family, and it got too expensive to maintain, so they just kind of teleported most of the stuff out, mothballed the rest of it, and called it good. We'll come back someday if we need to reestablish the space. And uh, and basically, she's telling the mist because there's a bunch of cool entads there that they can go get, which will make it much easier for them to do things. And you know, if someone does identify as a princess, they can defend herself, I guess, or they can sell them. I don't know exactly. But the thing is, as soon as she told them about this, he got the quest, Mothballs, which is basically, you know, let's go and get the stuff. And the second he got the quest, he says, I'm in. And mm-hmm. like, I think this is a good policy, but because I would have done the same thing. Like, as soon as I got the quest, I've been like, oh, heck, yeah, okay. The game's telling me that's the next place to go. I'm going. But maybe it's not the best policy and he should think about things more than a second. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I wonder if the quest was accepted when he made the resolution to go with her and then he verbalized it after he, you know, right after the notification came in. Oh. Like, maybe the quest, like, be. you know, since it's no longer the tutorial, maybe he actually gets to accept quests rather than having them thrown at him. Yeah. And so he's thinking, oh, yeah, totally, I'm in. And then as he thinks it, he take, gets the quest, then he says it. Um, yeah. What's interesting, too, is, you know, there's a couple of things about it, I guess. There's, like you said, they, they apparently t- carted everything worth taking, except for all this cool shit that's still there. Um, and some of it is magically linked to her because she's the direct heir. And other things, she can bequeath unto other people. And, uh, I mean... Of course, we can't rule out the fact that it's really just one or rule out the possibility that it's just one thing there that she wants and she's lying about all the cool trinkets they're going to get because so she, she wants right. to help. But, yeah, you know, that, that strikes me as distinctly plausible. And depending on what it is there, maybe even worth the lie. Um, I don't know how much. I don't know. I, mean, I guess we'll see. But anyway, he also says that he wants time to prepare, which is smart. So, uh, yeah. I so mean, we learn a little bit about uh, the, how the magic's magic well the entad system works in this game that uh yeah some of them are like considered her property in some way and uh she can has the ability to do what's called vesting them where she can vest juniper with a the magic sword and now juniper gets to use it and uh but for as long as you know she she keeps that permission open which is you know it's a really interesting magical item system because it concentrates a lot of power into into you know much smaller hands like if there's a, a i don't know twenty thousand magical artifacts or whatever uh if they just belong to whoever was holding them they could be widely distributed but like if the game remembers who is the owner and the owner has to decide who can use them then that you can have really strong power structures with one or two central people like you know sauron uh did in lord of the rings which makes for i guess not a great political system but could certainly make for great stories because then you just have to defeat you know the one big tower eye of sauron thing in order for the uh everything to be okay whereas opposed to if you just assassinate saddam hussein well you killed one dude but there's still all of iraq there i wonder if these work more like the elder wand where you know if he vanquishes amaryllis then the artifacts fall into him or if they only work for the blood descendant of Arthur Pendrag. Um, Seeing how big of a deal they made about the blood descended line, I think it's a descended thing. Yeah, so that means that it it it's less like the toppling Sauron thing. Well, I mean, I guess, but then, you know, what, they have a bunch of cool things that would look good in display cases, but don't work for anybody. 
um, until the next air comes along or something. Uh, I, it, it's interesting trying to think of like, you know, back in Arthur Pendrag's day, there was just one descendant with his blood in him and it was him. You know, did, did he have all of these artifacts and was he the one who could command the power of a hundred, you know, things as, as ridiculous as the teleportation pad or the, the war bow? Um, maybe that's why he was, I mean, if you could use that power for good, it would make it pretty easy to become the best king ever, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Finn also makes the point that, uh, let's say you invest Juniper with a fancy new sword, and weeks or months down the line, you have some disagreement with him. That fancy sword was candy you dangled in front of him, but now it's leverage over him. And, you know, that's that's true, but that's also very much like real life, and that's kind of depressing. I've, uh... A long time ago, I realized that like the only solution to this problem was to never love anything or become reliant on anything. But then that also has problems of its own. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's like the one-on-one Buddhist answer. It's like, oh, yeah, attachment can leave you vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I'm sure there's, there's a leveled up version of Buddhism that's not worth getting into because this isn't a Buddhism podcast. But like... You know, you, at some point, many people just decide, "Hey, you know what? It's worth the uh, the risk for this reward, right?" Um, that does th- seem to be what most humans have decided on. Yeah. Well, and it's some some people decide to do it explicitly, and others don't even think about it. Uh, yeah. But in any case, you know this this makes it less about uh, you know love and people and more about magic stuff, which is interesting. Um, you know, that's kind of that to me. This puts me more in mind of like uh, employment. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you become you, reliant on someone else. Yeah. You get a paycheck at the behest of your, of your, uh, boss who at any time can decide to take it away from you. And then that's it. You don't get to do it anymore. Um, and, and if, if you sign some NDA or something or non-compete, uh, you then can't even go on and do that trade for a while. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but even if you don't, your boss like has leverage over you because he has this thing you want every two weeks and, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of a bummer, but I don't know how you could possibly exist without this sort of kind of thing. And I don't know. I guess I maybe it like says something about Fen that this is her her f- initial and possibly strongest concern is that yes, I get cool things and become powerful, but now you have power over me. And I don't know. Like I like I said, you seem to be much more of a Amarilla stan. I'm I'm the Fen stan here, and I think part of it is that like it seems like she kind of thinks like me in in some ways like this, where you just don't want anyone to have power over you, but it turns out you can't fucking help it. I mean, it's interesting because I don't even think that that was cl- that was Fen's concern because, I mean, she was in from the beginning, right? Yeah. She, yeah. she was just kind of doing that thing where she keeps people on their back foot in conversation by just kind of fucking with them and, oh, well, what about this? What about that? Oh, no, I, I'm already on board. I already signed the documents that I'm going, right? Like... Uh, it's, um, what was it? You know? Oh yeah. I mean, maybe I can give you some through vestiture and it's like, Oh, then I'm all yours. You should have led with that. Um, and, uh, she's like, yeah, that's how investiture works. Like, I don't understand why being so difficult about this. What, what is it that you propose to do instead? Um, and so, uh, she's just like, Oh yeah. Like I'm game. As long as we, you know, aren't dumb about it. Wait, you're willing to go this whole time. And it's like, Oh, fine. Fuck this. All right. Let's need to stop wasting time then and get to planning. Um, so first step of the plan is to get clean because they're gross. You know, they were in the sewers some 
several sweaty hours ago. So they've got to just be, frankly, the doctor was very professional about dealing with them. Uh, you know, I guess like, I think, I think June even remarks that there was some incense or something in there, but even so you can still smell sewer shit over incense. Yep. But due to the fact that they are holding an artifact that's worth 600, the equivalent of $600,000 per day, uh, they need to first get a tattoo so they can go get washed. I love that method of storing stuff. Yes. So, um, oh, there was actually another thing I wanted to point out too. Uh, oh, wait, sorry. That's during the tattoo bit. It's, am I, I'm getting a little garbled here in my order. Um, yeah. So there was something about uh, Fen saying like, oh, aren't you being a little paranoid? And um, June's like, oh yeah, that's the kind of stuff that makes you want to stay inside. Like people who say you're being too paranoid are invariably not being paranoid enough. And I just put that Mad-Eye Moody and I both nod approvingly. And then it's kind of funny. The tattoo mage is also appreciating Amaryllis's figure. And uh, for whatever reason, I think it, like it annoyed June or something. But then like partway through the the tattooing, any leering he had done before was replaced by wariness bordering on fear. And I'm not yeah, really sure they why. Leave and then they come back. No, it, it never tells us why. Like, I don't I, know if like she said something to him or. It doesn't even say that she leaned in and whispered to him. I don't think it's just like I, I my only guess is that getting a tattoo really hurts in this world and she's not wincing at it. Right. Mm, could be. I mean, that's a possibility. But in any case, he's getting spooked by her. Maybe that's a is that a clue? I don't know. Um, if so, it's a kind of annoyingly subtle one. And if there if clues are this subtle, I'm going to have to start highlighting everything. Um, right. Anyway, so because it'll be a while and they have time for a, a cutscene while this part of the story finishes, they get to go off and have a conversation that lasts exactly as long as it takes for her to get a tattoo. Right. And literally exactly. Um, so basically, she's just like, so how in love with you are you, are, are you with uh, um, Amaryllis? Yeah, Fen pulls June aside to ask that. Right, sorry. Yeah, Amaryllis is laying there getting her tattoo, um, which is, and I think it is obvious if it doesn't out, straight outright outright state it from the beginning but it's tattooed to hide the teleporter in which is super cool yeah i mean i wonder like if they, someone were to placed... cut off her arm if they could pull it out of the tattoo i imagine a skin mage could so it's not like perfect security but it beats the hell out of carrying it in your purse right it like it stops being a physical object in the universe and turns into a tattoo that's on you until you pull it out again which is just that's awesome how yeah. much more secure can you get than turning something that was a physical object into not a physical object anymore. And does I'm assuming the ring on her body, like, cause it's like a ring shaped thing that then she puts the, the pad into, I'm assuming the ring has to be as big as the thing that she's putting in there. But it kind of makes you wonder if this was a more skilled tattoo mage, if he could say, Hey, look, you can put more stuff in there. You can put a bag of holding in your left arm. <laughs> I suspect not, but maybe yeah. just cause like, I, I don't maybe, think it changes maybe size. The magic's- you know, when she puts well, it in. maybe magics don't interact very well. Yeah. In any case, I think there was a thing where uh, if you tried to put a portable hole inside of a bag of holding, like the universe exploded or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what made Harry cautious about putting a bag of holding inside a bag of holding. Yeah. But yeah, so Finn asks him that and he's like, who says I'm in love with her at all? And she's like, okay, on a scale of zero to nine, how in love with her are you? Which I thought was a fucking genius way to reframe the question. Because, you know, th- then you can 
think more objectively. It's not like now you're trying to deny being in love and what is love and who says anything about I'm attracted to her. It's more like, yeah, you know, okay, just give it a scale. Like how how much are you attracted to her on that? And then you can actually kind of think about your actual feelings rather than trying to defend this binary yes, no thing. And and I personally thought it was also kind of super um, perceptive of her to notice that he's really crushing an amaryllis because I wouldn't have noticed that maybe. I don't know. Maybe I would have. But she noticed it for which with, with uh, what I thought were very few clues. And uh, she decided to just be forthright and ask him about it point blank, which is really cool. And I think not a lot of people would do. So yet another point in her favor to just get the shit out there. I'll give her a point for saying on a scale from 0 to 9 rather than 1 to 10, which is superior for two reasons. One, indexing starts at 0. And two, 0, like if it's 1 to 10, if you say 1, oh, so you're only 10% in love with her, right? Ah, okay, uh, yeah. So this is better in the fact that A, that's how indexing works, and B, it actually gives you the answer to say no. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and switching it to a number, like you said, he's not sitting there like, well, I'm not in love. Like, So it's not about that. It's like, all right, let's g- give, me, give me a scale. Um, yeah. And I mean, as far as clues, you know, maybe June doesn't describe every time he's, you know, just oogling her tits or something, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. he, he he doesn't like acknowledging it to himself. Maybe he's not acknowledging it to, or he doesn't like acknowledging it to us. Maybe he's not acknowledging it to himself. So, you know, maybe, th- you know, there's plenty of clues. There's two big ones over there getting a tattoo. So, um, <laughs> Damn, I, nice. I, I, I'm, I'm being as, as, uh, yeah, 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 uh, I know. Yeah flippant about it as possible for the sake of humor. I'm not necessarily a pig anyway. Um, so he's like, okay, look, you know, there's emotion, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, as far as how to answer that. But he's like, look, I'm not, you know, mind clouded like a teenage boy. And she's like, no, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried that I'm going to be outvoted over everything. And, uh, that's, and I, I mean, she even says little lovers kisses, but I, I don't, I don't get the impression she was infatuated with him. She found that as as a way to get close enough to whisper to him when they were in the time bubble. Um, but maybe she's actually into him. You know, at this point, I don't really care or have an interest in any of that stuff. But uh, I think she's just, I think her concern here is like, look, am I going to be outvoted on everything? Like if we're going to be, if we're going to be a traveling party, is it going to be two to one for everything? And uh, there was, um, when he's like thinking of how to reply to that, he says, uh, um, you know, I, he says, uh, what's, it opens up with him this saying, basically like, I, I don't know. Well, yeah, so th- that's his answer to that. But before he comes right out and says that he's thinking about, oh no, I should be more focused on. And then I came up short. This is the place where I should have maybe set up focused on getting home. But the truth is that home kind of sucked. It was a place full of anger and sadness. It was a place where people kept saying things to get better with, with time and they had been right, but I still sort of didn't believe them. Um, so like, this is like the first time he's thought of home generically. And of course, it's it's unsurprising that it's the standard trope of like, eh, home sucked anyway. Um, you know, again, conspicuously, he's not thinking about his friends and family that he left. You know, unless you know Tiff and Raymer and his dad that he mentioned are all completely out of his life. Again, the thought has not crossed his mind. He's like, I wonder where they think I am. Um, yeah, it, that's true. So you know, even if home sucks, maybe not everyone there sucks. But this is a sufficient backstory that is, uh, you know, like. And again, Wales has licensed himself here to lean on every trope he wants uh, just because of how meta the story is. And it's awesome. But like, that's just enough of an excuse for us to not have to worry about talking about it. Right. Yeah. So he's just like, oh, yeah, home sucks. So I'm not thinking about home. But I like his answer. And it, it's a it's one that um, it says uh, I agree with Fen, Fen's response to it. Oh, go ahead, though. 
Well, I, okay, I was just going to say, I think, like, if home sucks enough, then you don't bother about the people because they're part of home and they suck too, right? I mean, if it sucks that much, sure. But, you know, I didn't get the impression that he was, you know, super depressed with no one close to him in his life. You know, he's a, he's a high schooler. Of course life sucks. Um, no one likes high school. But you like your friends. You like your family. You know, again, does he have any pets? Um, it's not even like the fact that they're going to starve to death, but doesn't he like his, you know, pet dog? I mean, yeah. you know, there, but he, he, he never thinks about like, oh, I'm going to miss this. Um, you know, he, he's, he's given one passing thought to how long he might be here for. And he's not the least maybe bit concerned. Just, maybe he's just not going to miss any of that. It could have been a real shit, shit show at his house. It's possible. I, I don't get that impression. I mean, he had friends in a Dungeons and Dragons group. You know, he was not Harry locked in the cupboard. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he, I, I'm only pointing a spotlight on this, not because I think it's bad writing, but because I think it's indic- indicative of something. Okay. You know, the fact that he he barely seems to be able to think about it, um, it, it seems like we're pointing a light on that by conspicuously not talking about it. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, he instead of pointing that out, he just, you know, telling her that he's like, you know what? I could go back to earth and, you know, whatever, go sit in English class, or I could be here where I'm a God of the superpowers. This sounds fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm saying God in the like God power sense, not necessarily one of the literal gods who are running around this planet. So growth mindset though. Yeah. Again, I don't know if he could grow into that kind of God or not. They might just be beings, you know, like in again, elder scrolls, it's been at least five minutes. Um, you know, there are, there are gods and you can get big enough and strong enough, not, not physically big enough, but you can, you can grow powerful enough to beat the shit out of them and maybe vanquish them. But you don't, you don't be, you don't thereby become a God yourself. So I know you just referenced earlier the, uh, new God of War, which is just called God of War, which is stupid because there's an original God of War. Did you ever play the original God of War? No, but I'm familiar with the, with the plot. Okay, yeah. So in that one, you actually become powerful enough to take on one of the gods and kill him, and you become the new god of war. So, eh, you know, it, it happens in some stories. Yeah, totally. And, and it's not clear what kind of story this is. Um, you know, maybe there are exactly five gods, and, you know, if you go to whatever that god of sea and ice and kill him, you thereby become that god. Yeah. Which then you wonder, of course, what happens if the god of sea and ice kills the god of fire and lava? Um, oh, snap. You know, to, do though do they combine? Uh, you know, they do you cancel get, each other out, and suddenly there's only three gods. Ice Plus lava. There's no more ice or fire in the world. Or you, or you get to freeze and burn people at the same time. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember Dragonlance was a a D and D book series from the '80s that was really quite popular and well known among nerds. And the sequel series to that uh, um, followed one of the. One of the brothers, the one that was a mage, trying to kill a god and take his place. So that is that is generally what what comes to mind for me when I think of you know how to become a god. Just takes a little bit of deicide. <laughs> All right, I can dig it. Um, yeah, we'll see what what happens here. Uh, the the quest did say join their ranks, um, so it it didn't say you know usurp them. Uh, it it made it sound like yeah godhood is a class that you can join um anyway so he he tunes back in and answers with hey you know um i'll take what you say what you said under advisement and i can at least promise that right now i don't think we're close to forming any ironclad voting blocks and yeah so basically he said you know i i hear your worry i 
I'm not going to promise anything because I don't think I can promise anything, but uh, I don't think anything like that's going to happen anytime soon, right? And, uh, you know, and, and Finn liked that. She it says she uh, Finn nodded and clap, clasped me on the shoulder. You know, I somehow find that more comforting than a blanket assurance. It shows your thinking, at least. And I agree with Finn 100% because even though he wasn't like, oh yeah, no, you don't have to worry about that. Like any, any smart person would have known that's a lie anyway. And he just answered in the most honest way he could answer, even if it wasn't, you know, the ideal answer. And so I, I really like that he was honest. Um, and I would just like to bring up the fact that this is basically what Quills did when you said that he was a total dick saying, we're not going to do any, not going to go through any special trouble to make sure you stay alive. I, he was he was just being honest to with him, and I appreciate that as well. I will draw two differences to defend my hatred of Quills. One, <laughs> okay, if 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 June had answered yes, you'll always be outvoted two to one because she's got bigger tits. Uh, <laughs> that that's more like a Quills answer, like a okay. fuck, a fuck you answer. Now yeah. I'm, that's a little uncharitable. But the other thing is that um, he he doesn't say like he he gives an honest answer that says, hey, look. Um, I don't think that's where this is going, and I hear your concern, which is yeah. uh a little more nuanced than like you know I'm not so concerned about your troubles, <laughs> right? Okay, <laughs> but yeah, right. but, but the safe. but the but the policy of honesty, even like where social niceties might say you should pretend for the sake of being polite, um, they do share that in common, and I do like that trait. Yeah. And it does get him a plus one loyalty from Fen, so it turns out things other than murdering people will get you loyalty with Fen. Totally. And because the dialogue scene is over, the tattoo is finished, and uh, they go back. That's, yeah, it's basically the chapter. Yep. Again, I just I like how things last as long exactly as long as they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. The same thing with his, with his healing. You know, Fen shows up the second that he's done being healed. Did you play the first Assassin's Creed game? Uh, no, but my brother did, so I sort of played by osmosis. Okay, it was fucking great because you would be like in the, when you have your every every level it ends with an assassination, right? That that is your uh, ultimate mission, and in some of them, you know, like you sneak in and you do get a stealth kill and then you get out. But like in others, you sneak in as close as you can get and then you like you jump onto this dude in the middle of a crowded plaza with guards all around and stab him through the heart and then book it for your life. Uh, but whenever you kill someone, you have a long extended dialogue with them as they die. And like the world just goes on pause while this happens. And I fucking loved that. I thought that was a great addition to the game that like when you kill someone, you get an automatic long dialogue with them that lasts exactly as long as it takes for them to die. And eh, that was that was just a great thing that I, this, this kind of reminds me of that lasts exactly as long as you need for it to be done when you go back. Yeah, and that that those foggy uh, one on ones kind of reminded me of when Malfoy and Harry at the train station had their little mm. dialogue. The the scene yeah. kind of looks the same. Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, so we are at the communal, presumably communal bathhouse, and uh, it's a it's what it sounds like. It's a public bath. Um, so they at least the the changing rooms are gender segregated for some reason. But yeah. um, you know. Some of these things, you know, does the chitinous humanoid, does it have a discernible gender that, I mean, are the human changing rooms and other changing rooms? I don't know. Yeah, uh, just take their word for it, I guess. I figure as long as you're allowed to bathe together, why wouldn't you change together? But it is what it is. Um, 
so they have separate oh i guess they have separate changing rooms you know so that he can be attacked in his own changing room no that's not fair the world can't be the world's that convoluted around him we'll have to reevaluate how we're approaching the game but uh let's see where do we want to start here i mean it's uh oh i did like this too he's looking at um Ben's, she's got those those keloid scars that are like these twists, like the this uh, um, I don't know what you call it, like a uh, twirling rope around her arms. Yeah, and, yeah, in complex patterns that are symmetrical symmetrical on the two arms. Yeah, curly cue, almost organic looking in their shape. Um, <laughs> she says it's rude to stare, and then he, like, and then she says, "See, I say it's rude to stare, and what do you do?" <laughs> she's <laughs> she's got that nice sense of humor, and he's like, "Oh, they're pretty," and she's like, "Meh." Um, they weren't exactly my choice and they're non-functional in case you're wondering. And yeah, then he's thinking about the difference between skin magic and tattoo magic. And these apparently are neither. They are purely decorative um, or brands. It's hard to say. If they're brands, it's nice of them to give you two pretty symmetrical brands. I mean, keloid scar is actually, depending on the, I mean, if you Google it, you get a variety of kinds of pictures, but they can be rather like intense looking or they can be, you know, rather artsy. And it's not clear what kind she has here. But I guess there's some kind of magic that you can do with scarification. She just doesn't have it. Right. Or at least these ones aren't. Yeah, yeah. Or she's lying. Uh, that's you know, a good point. She yeah. lied about how many charges she had with her bow. Totally. You know, it. You know, it's only loyalty level five. It might be worth keeping one or two tricks in your back pocket. Um, so... Anyway, um, yeah, so they're going into the bath and uh, everyone's naked because it's a, you know, it's a bath and it's a public bath. And I, I guess, you know, hmm. well, I, I, I've been in this sort of public bath before and they're surprisingly non-sexual. Like, uh, it's it's not too much of a worry. Um, but uh, so he, he says, you know, he looks at uh, Amaryllis and he knows she wasn't trying to seduce him, but she's just the fucking second most erotic thing she'd ever seen in his life. And right before he says that, he prefaces it with, look, I know you probably think that I'm a creep just because he's about to say, like, she's pretty again, right? And I don't, I, apparently, obviously, June thinks that he's, that he's about to say something about her physical appearance is an indication that he's a creep that like only creeps comment on other people's physical appearances even when they're you know describing them in a novel but i don't know it's the thing is like this was uh started to be written i think in 2017 maybe at this point it was 2018 i'm not sure but thinking back on it like three four years ago i probably would have had the same hang-ups and so i think this is this is like in more of an indication of the culture at the time that like I too would have felt incredibly uncomfortable trying to write that sort of physical description of this amazing hot chick being naked in a public bath. And um, it's, I don't think it's a big deal nowadays and it's an interesting, it's an interesting, you know, sign of how our culture has changed even really this quickly. Like nowadays, the tricky part would be exactly what you said, that there's sex segregated changing rooms. And that that would be the thing that, you know, and uh, someone writing today would be tiptoeing around, not sure exactly how to phrase it and thinking maybe should I not have that in this world? But oh, they had it in, you know, this ancient culture. And how do I deal with that? And, you know, it's, it's interesting how the things that worry uh, authors and what they expect their readers to focus on 
what how you know what it has been during various eras and how it's changed so quickly even yeah i i mean there's a couple things there one i don't think alexander is the kind of author who's you know afraid of offending people with his writing um you know i i don't i don't get the impression but it could well be i have no idea that you know the reason that the camera is conspicuously not on amaryllis you know like he described before um is you know because he personally didn't want to get twitter attacked for describing a pretty lady or something i i don't get that vibe you know i no it, you're right it could very much just be that june is that kind of person and he's doing a very good job of of channeling june yeah that that's my read on the general vibe of it and this one in particular there's two things that i think he does well that articulate what he's talking about one there are a lot of like naked actions that aren't sexy and like crouching in a bathtub is one of them mm-hmm. right so there's a great Seinfeld episode where uh, he's dating a nudist and she's like straining to open a jar of pickles. And it's like, <laughs> it's a huge turnoff and that's what ends up ending the relationship. And so okay. like, and the the conclusion was from the episode that like, you know, some things just aren't, you know, attractive to watch a naked person do like cough, you yeah. know, it's so the vast majority of them, in fact. Right. And so, you know, this this only hits number two on his list of sexiest things ever to happen to him because uh you know it's the prettiest girl in the world but she's doing something remarkably unattractive you know getting into a public bath and the other thing about being a creep is that it's not because he's about to describe her it's because he's talking about this creep aspect of reading sexual intent to think sexual intent into things that aren't intended to be sexual yeah okay let's get into that but but uh, that's what he's talking about with the creepy bit he wasn't even talking about the pretty bit Oh, okay. I I guess I can see that. I mean, does, uh, isn't it explicit? I'm looking right at the... It, no, it is actually explicit. And let's get right into that. But just before we do that, I have a comment about how I think this is an extremely unrealistic novel and I cannot continue to read it because it has broken my suspension of disbelief. <laughs> the, um, he's a 17-year-old fucking boy. And he is seeing what he is saying is the second most erotic thing he'd ever seen in his life. There is no fucking way he's not popping wood at that moment. Like, it's, I, I mean, I, I, like I said, I've been in a public bath before. They're actually not very sexy. But I also, I, I had the advantage of it not being a sexy environment. I had the advantage of being in my uh, lid mate, lid mate mid-late 30s. Uh, I'd been on antidepressants for a long time, so I had everything going for me. And even then, there was one or two times where I was like, mm, okay, I gotta I gotta look away now just to, you know, just in case. Whereas, like, if you're a 17-fucking-year-old kid, like, you can just be doing math homework and suddenly get a boner. And, like, there, there is no way. That, that should have been, like, paragraphs of, oh my god, I'm so mortified. God damn it. What is my dick doing? Oh, Jesus. Everyone's <laughs> looking at me. Oh, God. Oh, God. I need to get in the water real fast so no one can see my dick. Oh, no. What if I rub up against someone? They're going to think I'm raping them. Ah, why? God, why? Like, and, and there was no mention of that at all. This should have been the erection chapter. Yeah, this, this, you're right. This breaks immersion. This is the unrealistic thing so far that's happened. It wasn't <laughs> the plane business. It wasn't the zombies. It was, I mean, it was the dick. It was the dick stuff. Yeah. Now, I mean, the, the the other side of that, of course, we have to wonder. We don't know what dick physics are in this world. Um, <laughs> you know, the fact maybe he only has a one in dicks. That we we have uh, we've been with this guy for a day and a half and hasn't described one erection for a seventeen year old. That's unbelievable. That's true. So I mean, granted, he's been through a lot, but you know, more likely he'd be sitting there bleeding out from rat rot and being sliced to bits, and he'd be like, 
what goddammit boner now like <laughs> that's that's life as a 17 year old boy yeah. um, i need that blood damn it <laughs> exactly <laughs> also i'm disappointed to learn that he's 17 and not 18 because you know it again it's my my uh pure puritanical prudishness but um i, I think you know there's no magic line at 18 wrong. but I mean, he's yeah, in high school like, or something, and it doesn't. It, I'm, yeah. I'm pretending about how how prudish I'm, I actually am about it. It's a story, and it is what it is. But besides, doesn't he come from Kansas? Maybe the age of consent is 17 in Kansas. There's yeah, and like look wrong. There's no magic thing that happens on your 17th birthday at midnight that makes something right. okay. And yet, yeah. you know, I mean, really, what it is about is as long as I've touched on the subject, is it's about like the gap in experience slash uh, life, right? You know, a a 35-year-old dating a 50-year-old is a lot less weird than a 15-year-old dating a 30-year-old, even though the number is the same, right? Right, but I think Amaryllis is around his same age. I think so too, and I'm assuming everyone. I'm assuming everyone's supposed to be because you know they're a band of of wandering like-minded murder hobos. But uh, I, the only reason I bring that up is because you know it's 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 more about the 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 gap in in life than it is about the exact numbers so and this is all super poignant because that that uh florida congress or that what is uh matt gates um you know he's been uh canoodling many a 17 year old uh which has come to light lately and you know i I don't want to like say 17 is okay because i think this guy should be in trouble for fucking kids because when you're 40 something or 50 something you are fucking kids you know, if he was 19 and she's 17, yes, it's still technically against the law, but that's a lot less of like an inf- an infringement on, I think, decency than a 50-year-old paying a 17-year-old to do it, right? Would it still be, I guess, is it equally bad if he was paying a 19-year-old to do it? Uh, it's still, I think it's, I think it's gross, but then you're on the other side of the, of the law, right? So that, you know, that is what it is. Um, okay. I mean... You know, we've, we've spent way too long on this, but it's just like, I don't know if you knew any any women, any girls in high school, you know, who had a boyfriend that was in, you know, like 25. Those were not uh, cool dudes. I personally did not, but I basically agree with you. It was, that- it was really weird seeing people that like, you know, have to get driven to school because they're not old enough to drive yet, getting picked up by their boyfriend to go out for lunch because he's a 25-year-old without a job. Like, yeah. you know, that it's just, it's always a, a weird vibe. All right. There's all my, my hangups. So okay. back to the story we have, uh, Oh, wait, 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 we, we wanted, I wanted to touch on this anyway, cause I pulled it out and you also pulled it out to quote, to comment on it. Uh, he says, one of the things that sucked most about the boy-girl dynamic was that boys, especially high school boys, would see a girl stretching out and they would not just look appreciatively at her tits, but they would also convince themselves that this was some kind of show specifically for them or an unspoken er- overture towards something more. And uh, I, I, so, I mean, my comment on this was like, what the fuck? It, it, what is wrong with people and is this a real thing? And your comment was that it's a true story, so I guess it's a real thing, and there's just really fucked up people out there. I think this is just how people operate. Um, certainly, how one needs to be, especially if one's a uh, you know, and it's just a, a sad fact of nature that you know women on the re- are on the receiving end of a lot of this shit. Um, well, yeah, but you don't like you think it's just the way people operate that they see someone stretching and they think that it's an unspoken overture towards them personally? I think that 
if uh i mean maybe a 17 year old will talk themselves into the particular like specifically for me kind of thing but it's like uh you know if if a 17 year old guy is stretching in what he imagines to be a seductive way um he might be doing it for a girl in the class right and sure so like to him every every uh not every motion, but every advance in that sort of direction is an intentional move. And so I think that, but that's just fucking stupid. He realizes that everyone has to stretch. I don't think that he does. He's the dumb 17 year old, but I mean, I think this is like the thing, you know, I mean, you know, if you want to have a sad conversation with a woman, ask her like, you know, when was the last time you got, you know, unpleasantly cat called. Um, yeah, yeah, and I and I I modify it with unpleasantly because my wife was recently pleasantly catcalled like a week ago. She was on a walk, and this guy it was like a side street, like was I don't know at a stop sign, and then came back the other way, and he just drove and he I guess apparently politely asked like, "Hey, do you have a boyfriend?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm married." And he's like, "Okay, cool, thanks. Have a great day." Like hmm. that. I mean, the the charisma on that guy and the courtesy for a guy with that charisma. High five. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to get cat called, that's the kind of guy I want calling me, but, um, or I guess that's, that's the kind of cat I want calling me. Um, so I mean, yeah, but you know, they'll be like, Hey, you know, I, it's, it's always stories like, yeah, I was, you know, um, grabbing my purse from the, the booth seat at the bar and somebody came over and like, Hey, I noticed you were, you know, showing me your ass. And it's like, no, I was grabbing my purse. Um, I think that shit happens a lot. So well, I mean, I, I know it happens a lot because, like you said, I, I know the reports, but, like, also those people are just unapologetic assholes and know it, right? Uh, I think that they're unapologetic assholes, but not assholes, and I don't think that they know it, right? No, I don't, I don't think anyone walks around thinking I'm an asshole. I mean, some people do, but uh, I don't think that the majority of assholes run around with that self-awareness. I, I don't know. I always assumed that those sorts of people just were bad and knew they were bad and didn't give a fuck because if I make 20 people's days a lot worse, but when I get one, you know, phone number out of it, then it was worth it. And fuck those other 19 people. I don't care if their days are worse. Like I just assumed that these are unrepentant assholes. I never spent that much time trying to mentally model them. Maybe that is like literally the calculus they do in their head and they're okay. Hurting people's feelings. I imagine they walk around thinking more like, you know, uh, they should, they, they were sending me mixed messages or something. I have no idea, but, um, yeah, so we, we can even just set aside all of that and say that it's a small number of, you know, it could be 10% of, of, of jerks. Right. But Tiff was describing situations where she gets up and stretches and after a class. So she's in a room with like 15 or 20 boys and I'm not sure how big class sizes were in bumfuck Kansas, but, um, you know, if it's in, uh, mid sized school in Colorado, it's like 30 kids per class. So, um, or, you know, 30 or 40. So half the class is boys could be one or two, you know, creeps who are like, Oh, she's stretching seductively for me. So that's the kind of like mindfulness that, you know, Tiff has to be aware of when she gets up to stretch after class. Right. Like, Oh yeah, that, that jerk in the corner is going to think I'm putting on a show for him. And really I'm just sore. Um, okay. I just, I hate people. I guess not all people, but motherfuckers. Sometimes they're the worst. All right. We got to We got to turn this back around. I've been on this for a while. So, okay. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, oh. you know, it's, it's relevant, but it's, it is what it is. So, uh, we can turn it back around with a 
a complete usurping of that whole expectation thing where yeah. Fen sheds her towel, revealing her slender, elvish figure, and gave him a grin and a wink as his, go- as his gaze momentarily drops below her eye line. Um, yes, because Fen is the best. She's well, like, like, yeah, I, I know you're a boy. You're going to look. Uh, I know I'm pretty. A grin and a wink. It was that was ah, oh, that was fantastic. I well, fell in love with her a little more. And what's hilarious about it is he's just having this whole, you know, his internal parenthetical about like this, this whole long di- digression that we just had. Right. He just had that with himself. And then presumably she does exactly this. She puts on a show specifically for him <laughs> and like just right. just to just to kick his inner critic in the face about like how ought I to conduct myself and my attitudes towards people? She's like, well, how about, you know, again, let me, let me disarm you by, uh, you know, with my words and actions. Um, Yeah. It's, it, it couldn't land at a more comedic moment there. And it's almost like she knew exactly what she was doing. Like she knew what kind of internal struggle he was having. And then she's just like, watch this. Um, So she's, she's met boys before I'm sure. Like she knows that the, the eye going down, to the breast is sometimes literally involuntary and yeah she's like oh i gotcha again nan there's a seinfeld episode like that too um okay but not worth getting into that show is not i mean it was great 25 years ago but it's not it doesn't really hold up but i mean it's it's funny if you haven't seen it uh 25 years ago i thought it was more of a curiosity than something that was laugh out loud funny i thought lots of it was laugh out loud funny but i you know it is what it is anyway the um uh yeah but the the involuntary look i mean you know it it's kind of you know i mean it it's not even at that moment like a sexual thing necessarily you know if if uh if a guy had come out and disrobed he'd be like hmm, take a peek you know you <laughs> you literally can't help it um yeah. all right so uh he's trying his best not to uh to be awkward about it and not be aware of the fact that Amaryllis is naked so close to him. So I get, you know, him maybe not popping a boner in a few seconds on the walk to the pool, but now they're there and she's just a few inches away. You're right. He's 17. You know, this whole thing should be happening. I'm guessing erections don't happen without spell intervention. And that's the only explanation that'll satisfy this. Um, Excellent. So it's, Oh God, if the the incantation for for an erection doesn't have some variation of the word Viagra in it, they're missing an opportunity. Uh, Rigidus Maximus. (laughs) okay uh, fortunately ha- there's about to be a lot of massacring in the water so uh so he is saved yay and we can we can finally change gears so yes. there is a random attack that is related to nothing presumably um and there's just some i mean so she uh fen's pulling them out of the pool because she's got uh whatever luck. i mean i mean you know i was gonna say luck but it's not luck to be like i have a strange impulse to pull my friends out of the pool right now like you know luck would be tripping and knocking the guy over before he drew his pistol and shot somebody right yeah that's more like spider sense yeah she's so she's got she's got some foresight here uh or luck is a lot more versatile than i'm imagining it um so there was a like you know there's red blasting light in the crowd there's a woman uh riding a wave away from the action and in one spot, a place where time to be flowing backwards. And I just put Dr. Strange enthusiasm intensifies. I've really got to see that movie. You should. It's fun. I mean, at, at the very least you'll be like, Hey, that was a f- visually fun movie to watch. Yep. I, uh, I kind of regret not having seen it in theaters based on just all everyone says it is so fucking like visually awesome to see in the theater. Yeah. I mean, if it's a TV, that's fine. I mean, I watched King Kong at home. You know, like I think if I wanted to watch giant monkeys and lizards punch each other, I should have done it on a giant screen. But I agree. That seems like one of those movies. Yeah. Okay. All right. 
Um, so he's like, they have the, they, they get away from the action. They're like, all right, grab your stuff, meet outside. And he gets into his locker room. And this is the first time apparently where it says that his attendant was a child, like the one at the, the pool house. Um, cause he says that part of the reason that he was trying to punch this guy in the face was cause he watched them kill a kid, but it never said that his, his attendant was a kid, but apparently it was. No, no, so, no. But it said just like, I think a paragraph before that, that he chopped down with a sword at a kid that was in the, in the room. Uh, Oh, you know, I must have missed it. I, I take a word for it. Um, leaving me to run towards the changing room all on my own. When I got there, I saw the attendant who had handed me my towel was dead on the ground, his throat slit, and three men with weapons were waiting there with hard looks in their eyes. Like, it doesn't say that they killed a kid, did it? Um, I mean, it's not a big deal. I could be reading comprehension something something, but... Um, in any case, no, I think you're right. I don't know where I got the impression that, that eh, he well, because he says that he, he says they watch him kill a kid, so we retrofit that the attendant was a child. So, which again, he does it's right, it adds some some uh evilness to it, right? Uh, you know, a kid, you know, if you're attacking indiscriminately, or especially if you're attacking discriminately and they've got a target and a kid gets in the way and you're a bad guy, you hit him with the butt of your sword and break his nose, right? Like. There's no reason for you to slit his throat. That is just a deliberate, you know, I could even see just hacking at him to get him out of your way with the sharp end of the sword. But no, they're, these guys are jerks. And so what's he do? He runs up and blood punches one in the face, which is awesome. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it. what's fun is that uh, I, I said, so what happens? He runs up, he blood punches him in the face, breaks like the guy's face hard enough to kill him and then breaks his hand because of course he did. And so... Um, I put in my comment, so plus one for the element of surprise and thinking on your feet, minus one for not obviously realizing that blood punching someone will break the fuck out of your arm slash hand. Well, I think, like, he knew it would. It even said in the spell description. I think just in the heat of the moment, you're rushing three guys that have swords. You you don't take the time to think things through. You just fucking blood punch. Right. I guess, you know, I guess that's what I'm saying is that he, he, he gets one for the element of surprise and thinking on his feet, and you can't necessarily do that unless he practiced, you know, he hasn't had a lot of time to practice his martial arts here. Um, so since his Krav Maga skills aren't 100% yet, he doesn't have trained into the re- reflex of attack as hard as I can, as fast as I can, while doing so safely. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he's got a broken right hand, and uh, then he grabs the guy's sword, and this is just hilarious. Like, he's he hacks at the guy, um, one of the other two guys, and just, like, hits his leather armor, and then the guy's turning and sword fighting him and he's finding it like a somewhat easy fight, even though he's using his offhand. Mm-hmm. And I liked that there was a line about like, uh, I realized this is like a fight that I could actually probably win fairly or something. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, he just, he bests him in a sword fight, which is kind of cool. Cause I get the impression that June was not a sword fighter in his previous life on earth. I get the same impression. So because he's got enough uh, skill points in one-handed weapons, he's like, oh, I'm finding this surprisingly easy, and this guy just sucks at sword fighting. Or maybe he's actually proficient, and June's just really good. Um, I mean, I think June's skill isn't more than, like, what, eight or nine still? In sword fighting, I think it might have been lower. You know, we've got his character sheet somewhere. Uh, In fact, we... His sword, his one-handed weapons is uh, two. Oh, so, Jesus. So this guy must be a zero. He yeah, just picked up a sword recently and doesn't know how to use it. <laughs> right. And these guys are called Risen Bile. Uh, is apparently the, the, you know, name of the, the faction. Yeah. yeah. And so he kills two of them. Um, the one that he blood punches and the other one that he stabs in the neck when they're sword fighting. 
And then he just bails because that sounds like a better idea than trying to take these guys out, which, you know, true. And, and some of them have guns, apparently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, shit's real in there. And it's kind of fun. When they get around to thinking about it later, we can chat about what we think the implications are. Like, I absolutely want to do that. All right. Then I'll, I'll I can hold my, my stuff for that because mine was a passing thought. So, um, and, you know, here's a plus one for Fen and her, like, this is not her doing anything dodgy or weird with her speech. She says, come on, let's get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Straight to the point. Great idea. High five. And yeah. so oh, the other funny thing, too, is they've managed to find time to change and get comfortable. And he's just run out into the street, fully nude, bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, I'm not sure how close their hotel is to the pool. Maybe it actually it's part of the same building. I'm not really sure. But he has to do some walking through the streets, you know, just with his willy in the wind and not uh, not a, a, a thread of clothing on him. And apparently that's not a crime. So. Or if it is, then the guards were really distracted trying to get to the massacre. I guess. <laughs> Stop right there, citizen. Yeah. You violated the law. All right. Um, they get back and they're like, okay, so what the hell was that? And uh, apparently it was one of the crazy things Fen has seen in her life. So I wish we had a longer description of like what was going on in there. Um, I mean, we got enough. We got lasers. We got somebody doing water magic and, you know, riding a wave away Aquaman style. We got Doctor Strange magic. It looked pretty cool. Yeah. And these are just people who are taking baths, right? Like, this is not the College of Winterhold. This is just like, this is your average muggle public bathhouse. Like, you know, if you're a rich mage, you've got your own bath. Like, this is the the base level of magic that mooks running around, you know, using public services have. Yeah. It's awesome. It is pretty goddamn cool. Yeah. I need need to see, we need to get more into the time magic because they need to nerf that shit hard. Uh Mm. And I, I'm sure he will in a, in a satisfying way, but it cannot be just as easy as the, you know, time stone turning back time business. Like that is just, I mean, anyway, I'm, I'm excited way about over, it. Way overpowered. You're saying even for this, even for this world. Right. So, um, all right. So he, uh, well, I guess that's about it that I had yet. So they're trying to figure yeah, stuff so out. They're trying. And yeah, like they said, uh, that this, faction doesn't seem to be um related to them at all like they weren't coming for amaryllis or june or fen it was nothing related to their quest in the game it was just a random attack that happened while they happened to be there and like june is pointing out how fucking wild that is that that's the odds of that happening are incredibly low for anyone and he, he like he says that I was thinking it was the contrived sort of thing that would happen in a game. And it, yeah, it very much is. The older style of RPGs had just random encounters that would happen sometimes that you rolled for, especially, uh, this is especially prevalent among the old uh, JRPGs, where just every time you take a step, there's a percent chance you'll get a random attack by, by mobs and have to fight them off. And like, um, this, this feels like a random encounter to me. Did it not feel that way to you? You know, it's interesting. It it would be a random encounter if they had to engage with it before they left. Mm-hmm. You know, and he well, sort you can of sometimes did. run away from them. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. Running away is an option, but it was also like a, a random. It, it could be possible that the the leveling around random encounters in this game doesn't work fairly. Um, you know, we had a, a a barrage of people with magic and guns and swords attacking, presumably our one naked protagonist. If that's what this was doing, right? But they, they weren't going for him. They're going for just like the room. And, you know, 
like I played games where there's factions that hate the city and, you know, you'll walk in and they'll, they'll murder somebody because they're, they're with this faction or another, but that moment is waited, waiting for you to be there. So it can kick yeah. off a quest. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing, I guess just from the other side of it, we have no idea if this happens every two days at the public bathhouse. Right. Right. Uh, no one's, no one has spent a lot of time in Baron Jewel. Maybe this place, maybe that's just a fact of bathing here. It's like, you know, that's why I've also got it. There's all those mages. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh yeah. People attack this shit all the time. It's, it's like raining, you know, it, it you, yeah, yes. Yeah. We that bring an umbrella. Impossible. We bring our. We become loaded with spells because it's just. It's a decent chance it'll happen. That's definitely a possibility, and that that had not occurred to me. So maybe, yeah, that could be it. But what I was thinking when I read this was like, holy shit! If you're a a not PC a, a gamer or a PC, I guess in a game world that has the random encounters thing, and suddenly the world is real, like. Any place you go basically becomes cursed to just to be like fucked with random violence and catastrophes because you as the PC happen to be there. <laughs> oh, no. And, right? And maybe like the best thing he could possibly do for the world is to go off and be a hermit somewhere where there aren't other people around to get caught up and killed as, you know, people in the, uh, the line of fire when, when the random encounter gets rolled. What's funny about that is like, I mean, at the very least, it, he, we've got the convenience that, you know, if you're playing like Final Fantasy VII or whatever, you're just walking and then boom, you're attacked by these two colossal whatevers. Uh, luckily, he can see. And so uh, th- they won't be fully random in that like every every few feet, he's he's worried about running into the next uh, attack scene. It's going to be uh, spaced out and, you know, at least to his line of sight. Um, which is not very far in a city yeah which is probably another reason to go someplace that's barren and not populated so you can see further totally yeah get get yourself some heads up um all right so we've got a, a handful of like important beats here so like it's kind of fun like the little again the the little conflict at the bathhouse is like as disjointed and like basically irrelevant to us as it is to him which i think is like well done how it puts that together um and the so like that same sort of sense of like was this on purpose like that that feeling that he has is also what we're having i mean we know it's on purpose because we know it was written for a reason but like it's just like that that might as well not have happened like what's even going on um and so he's he's sitting there thinking like man if i'm the center of the world like this makes no sense and um then it's like okay well uh fen's like i'm hungry i'm gonna go get some food and <laughs> which you know not a bad plan um in the meantime june's gonna sit stay put and uh try and heal his broken hand with blood blood magic healing yes. um, which is also kind of fun when you think about you know there isn't one restoration school of magic there's apparently multiple ways to heal stuff at least two that we know of right you know i wonder it seems like blood magic is more personal than bone magic mm-hmm. like you might have to get all up in someone's business to do blood magic healing on them uh, yeah. but you can do bone magic on them just by touching them so yeah by all up in someone's business i assume you mean blood transfusion yeah i was or like you know cutting your finger and sticking it in their bullet hole or something right like yeah yeah no yeah. whatever nonsense um yeah or yeah i guess in a sense a blood transfusion <laughs> um i think that he threw out the idea of like a blood whip before so like you know it's possible you could put your blood outside your body but then it'd have to get all up inside their body to do the healing so uh 
Yeah, I I think I'd probably just rather let it. <laughs> no, I'll let time heal it. You keep your blood in your body, and I'll keep my what's left of my blood in mine. Um, Let's go to the bone mage, <laughs> right? So I I also kind of like this. Um, she's she's trying to talk him through it, and you know it doesn't really matter. It's just like yeah, feel the healing part of your blood rather than the hot part of your blood. Um, and then he's like, okay, promise you won't be upset if I get this right away. And she's like, why would I be upset? And you know I get. Upset isn't necessarily how she reacted before, but it was more just like kind of a annoyed. Yeah, and not even indignant. It's it's like I mean I I can't think of a. I think we talked. You know, it'd be like podcast. if you spent yeah years of your life trying to perfect some some art or some craft that you're just really sweating over, and someone comes up and is like, huh, and he picks up a paintbrush and just draws a perfect Van Gogh in one in one go. You're like you motherfucker. Yeah, if he if he puts together a perfect painting in one Van Gogh, um, oh, huh. I got ah, you. Ah, ah, take that. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it, you know, it could even just be like, oh man, I spent two hours trying to get into my car, and this, you know, locksmith comes along and does it in five seconds. Like, it seemed like maybe that kind of annoyance, but I think it's, okay, yeah, you know, it, it it was just more of the uh. Because I, I don't know if she's a practiced mage or if she just learned enough to get by, right? Like, th- yeah. this might not be a trade that she really cares about. But it's more just like, you know, hey, if I, you know, break the break the rules again by being awesome at this right away, it's not going to be annoying, right? Because it would be kind of annoying if someone just around you is, for no reason apparently to you, amazing at everything immediately. Like, that would be kind yeah. of annoying. I think it's a fair question. But yeah, yeah. Um, I love this. Uh, so he's at it for about 10 minutes. Um, and then... Uh, Oh, I had to pull this out too. He's looking at his middle finger and he's like, metacarpal? That sounded too much like a Pokemon to be right. And then I just put like business idea, Pokemon cards. Uh, yeah. It's a 90, it's, it's, $90 billion industry in our planet. I wonder what he can make on air. It's, I mean, it's a question because part of it is cultural, right? Like maybe they hate card games on air, but they think that they're boring and stupid. So maybe it wouldn't make any money. But yeah, on the other hand, like, we have a lot of uh, many decades of businesses that we've seen be successful that uh, apparently Arab hasn't reached that point yet. That like it's just ripe for exploitation when you have knowledge of the future. Like seeing the future is a win condition. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, at least an alternate, more advanced society in some aspects. Um, yeah. You know, he could, I mean, he could just start a plastic bag industry and make a fortune that way, right? Graphite seemed like a nice, low hanging fruit. Uh, I mean, plastic bag, he would have to know how to, you know, make them. That takes a lot of chemical and industrial knowledge that I'm not sure he has. Same with graphite. But I, I just mean like something of that level, right? He doesn't have to start a new enterprise. He can just make a new product that no one here has yet. I think but, graphite, you can just mine out of the ground if you know where it is, right? Uh, Maybe. It, doesn't, I, it probably needs some sort of refinement. I have no idea. Point is, business opportunities are plenty. Um, exactly. So he could be a rich man with his dire goat business. Exactly. Um, so he lasts about 10 minutes. And because he's super easily distracted, uh, he just pops up and he's like, is luck a thing? Um, and then I like Amaryllis. You're supposed to be focused on healing. You did this when you, her eyes narrowed. You did this and you're supposed to be keeping watch. Do you have attention problems? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm seeing a trend here. You can't focus for more than 10 minutes on something. <laughs> you have ADHD, don't you? Yeah. Which, I mean, he might. He's also got a lot on his mind. Um mm-hmm. But it was just funny like that. And uh, I think it was he's like, no, this. I just, I, I didn't have any luck healing myself. Right. And then he was thinking about the pool attack and stuff. But uh, I wanted to get to the luck thing, but I jumped past something that you took out, which was about 
Amaryllis wanted him to write down his uh, character sheet. And oh yeah, and he's and he he gets that indignant sense we were talking about. Except it's you yeah, know, it's more of a violation to him. It's like it's just my weird game power thing, not hers. And I totally get that because like you have this unique once in a lifetime. No one else in the world can do this kind of thing. It's special to you, you know? And then, like, someone comes around and wants to, like, take it from you and game out how to, like, do all your stats best or or just even look at it. I don't know what she's going to do with it. But I'd be like, eh, get away. This is my toy. Yeah. I want to abuse it first. Exactly. I mean, I, it's not like she can take the game from him. But yeah. it's more just like she wants to look at his thing. And, you know, granted, he's being very open with it. I mean, he's even told her, you know, I don't know if he said loyalty level five or something, but he did, you know, he, he's telling her about the metrics and uh, that sort of stuff, but, uh, and writing it down is sensible. So like, it's, it's that I, I get where both of them are coming from. And yet there's still like the sense of, and I, I totally get it, like ownership. And it's like, this is kind of like my thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when I tell you about it, it's because I want to tell you about it, but it's really my business. And, you know, um, anyway, so is luck a real thing? And uh you thought it would take less than 15 minutes to learn something that takes a lifetime uh, or multiple years of intense study for others to learn. He's like, well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I love that's basically the same answer Harry Potter gave when, uh, <laughs> when Hermione asked him, you thought you could do better than the entire wizarding world in the course of a few days. Well, yeah, there's none of them have been as good as me yet. Hermione in June's right? defense, he, he, he's already got a demonstrated track record of smashing through barriers like this. Um, yeah. It's not even quite. And I love that. Oh yeah, and I love that honesty too. We we're just like, yes, I could lie to you and say no, no, I, I'm not that arrogant. But fuck it, I just gotta tell her the truth because she's a friend, I guess. You yeah. Don't have to lie to your friends. Well, and and you know, he's like, yeah, I kind of did. I mean, I picked up another stuff quickly, and then he brings up why. He's like, you know, I, I'm asking about stuff because like some in some gate, sometimes there are like gates to certain spells or you know like attributes or skills. Like maybe I can't learn blood healing until I learn how to do this instead. So like. I'm trying to think of different approaches. Um, and so all that's kind of uh, like, it's, I don't know where I'm going with that thought, but it's interesting and I'd have to push past it because I lost my train of thought. So, all right. Elves are lucky. What the fuck does that mean? First of all, I called it. <laughs> yes, he did. And second of all, um, he's just start investing in luck because apparently it does more than just give you a little bit more of a chance of critical hit. Like when they were fighting the, uh, um, whatever zombie horde thing in front of the Sil- Sil- Silmar castle and Fen was just basically standing there not getting you know being where the zombies weren't when they're being thrown the zombies were being thrown at them I attributed that to you know elvish grace and nimble movement and stuff at the time but it's like oh no she was just they weren't gonna hit her because you could fire a machine gun at her and miss every shot just yeah. just because and like that like that is I mean, God, this is a, a hard constraining fact on this. Like, so many things are overpowered as hell. Yeah. Wh- which thing, which like, thing do you focus luck, on? Yeah, yeah. Luck sounds overpowered, but like his other shit is pretty overpowered too. So it it's hard. You want all the overpowered stuff, but you only get two stat points per level. Yeah, he really needs to go find somewhere and grind. Should be like, <laughs> they've been to uh, uh, Comfort, you know? Hey, let's yep. load up on, on oh, arrows and, gu- and, and bullets. Yeah, take, let's go back to comfort for a few hours. Let me shoot some zombies. Um, like, I I just want to come back, you know, I'll spend an afternoon there and level up as many times as I can. And if it's just purely zombie killed, you know, I'll, I'll make some bombs or something and just throw them at the Voltrons, right? And yeah. 
just just grind some XP. Um, you know, if this is a D and D style and he only gets like twenty levels, that's actually rather scary. Um, yes, and, but if this is D and D style, then the DM would shut that down pretty quick. Well, that too, yeah. But I'm just thinking the downside is that he only gets so many points to invest. If it's if it's uh, Elder Scrolls or Fallout or whatever, you can just grind until you get everything maxed out. Oh, there's no level cap. So it's not like you, you know, you only have X number of points. You have to put them into these kinds of magics. It's like, no, if I grind destruction long enough, I can be, I can become a master at that, even though I can't level up anymore. Got it. Um, That said, your leveling in Skyrim was capped by the number of times you could, you could uh, level up a skill. So I think the cap was 81 because that's how many levels it took to max out everything. So it was, it was the other way around. You got uh, the skills before the, the level up itself. All you got with the level up was like a small boost to one of your stats. Okay, so I was also thinking that you can use Elf Bones as a luck boost. Which seems dubiously, dubious ethically. Sure. Oh, I forgot to pull this out when they're at the, the bone healer. Because they're like, because Amaryllis is explaining about the whole industry behind bone magic. And I'm like, okay, so they've got bone farms and soul farms. Like yes. in soul factories, like what the fuck else is going to be? You know, are they going to be doing next? You know, luckily a bone farm looks like they also might just be a regular farm where they don't throw away the bones, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So at least at least it's that. But uh, you know, between bone farms and soul factories, I've got to think that there's some third horrible thing that people are doing. Um, well, it's um, it's that certainly seems like a post-industrial age kind of society where anything that can be turned into a factory for efficiencies will be. Yeah, they're powering the motorcycles with souls. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, elves. I, I mean, I don't think you could ethically grow elves until they're like three or four, and then cull them and take their bones. No, but like, it, it does mean that if one were to attack you in the streets and you killed them, would harvesting their bones be ethically bad? No, they tried to kill you, right? You know, it wouldn't be that much worse than looting their pockets. Granted, it would be a lot grosser, and the people around you would probably be really pissed watching you carve the bones out of the person that just killed you just killed. Yeah, but, no, I was I was just about to say, like, if if someone tried to attack me and I had to kill them in self-defense, that's one thing. If I then start, you know, dressing the corpse and removing the bones, <laughs> that, that's gonna be a whole nother level of problem. It's gonna raise more eyebrows, yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying that if there's if there, if he's ever in a situation where he is forced to defend himself against an elvish attacker, it might yeah. behoove him to put all of his bones in his bag just to see if he can harvest their luck. This is—I swear to God, this is just like some kind of cool new take on Hufflepuff bones. It didn't occur to me until I mentioned carving out the bones that there's absolutely a parallel there. Um, yeah. This is a much more useful idea than carving them into spears, though. Yes, it is. I mean, hey, I, I pop this bone and suddenly I'm, you know, I'm dodging bullets like Neo for 15 minutes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, uh, what's her name? Fen gets back. She's got food on like what? Meat on a stick. And uh, what? So no luck. And then they're talking about, OK, well, how much money does stuff cost? Because maybe we have to go get this healed. And it's like, I don't have unlimited money. Um, and then. All right. Well, let's let's just go ahead and teach you the words of power. And I'm like, pause. You suppose you might as well teach me the words of power? Can you go ahead and tell me literally all of them right now? Like, and, and well, they do tell him all of them, and all they do is give you shitty bread and shitty milk. So I guess they're not that powerful. Well, a there there could have been more, but these are the two that he described when he when he made Baron Jewel that people can make low level food and, and water, right? And I guess water in this case turned out to be milk. Is and this is really interesting. 
Uh, and this, I think I mentioned in the previous uh, chapter or the previous episode that I had wished that when they got to Baron Jewel, he was like, hey, is this happened to be founded by Alvian? And she could be like, yeah. oh, you know, Alvian the Great or whatever. Um, apparently, Alvian was the real dude. This is Alvian's blood and Alvian's flesh. These are the spells. Yeah. And like, he doesn't follow up by asking if they work better, like inside Baron Jewel, if they work everywhere. Um, oh, I think he just assumes he already knows. Since it's even named Alvion's Flesh and Alvion's Blood, he's like, yeah, th- this is Alvion and it only works within the city, just like I made it. It's also kind of fun that that's what it's called. It's not called like, you know, Alvion's Gift or something, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. By calling it Flesh and Blood just uh, necessarily brings to mind the, the transubstantiation eating Christ business, right? Yes, he is and, literally the savior of this place and gave his life for the people so they could eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. Right. It's it's really cool. Yeah, I at least wish he had asked about, you know, the. I mean, he, he could still say, I know about Alvian, you know, and she would be like, oh yeah, because the spell is like, no, actually, I know what he did. So he still has a chance to flex. Um, yeah. But, but maybe he's... maybe the more he does that, the more annoyed, kind of understandably, and understandably people might get with him. So, all right. Barren milk and barren bread are foods for the poor, and even middle class sometimes uses use them to stretch their budgets. Uh, so this is Gunzel. Apparently, that's the name of the meat on a stick. And June, I'm like, just what? No follow up questions. You're not going to ask about Albion or if this, you know, like, you know, this. I mean, he's just sitting there like, yeah, this might as well happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Because then his next thing is like, okay, so back, you know, getting us back on track. Uh, this animal eats bread. And it's like, hold on, man. You, you, all right, you're you're moving right past it. Um, it is what it is. You know, can you do that over and over? Is it once a day? Um, it's it's interesting. Uh, anyway, so what? I, this is really cool. Um, he's going through and trying to like. He, he's. I guess we forgot to mention. He's decided that like, hey, you know what? Blood or excuse me, blood magic healing doesn't seem to be the way that this will work. Let's try bone magic healing. And he's like, you know, he's holding the bone. He's like, eh, it just feels gross. And so he's trying to like empathize with the animal and like put it, put himself in its head and feel it's like will to survive. Uh, and then boom, skill unlocked bone magic um, and achievement unlocked sticks and stones, which is hilarious and spell unlocked physical tapping. And I felt the magic leave the bone gone as soon as I'd grasped it. Um, my broken bone didn't feel any better, nor had I been able to perceive any change in myself, yet he felt the magic of the bone. And I guess th- I just pulled out that that makes sense because uh, the bone mage, uh, the bone healer mentioned that um, like low-level bone mages burn through bones way faster than the average, like a, an adept person. Yeah. And since it's a scarce resource and all that, I mean, it kind of makes you wonder too, you know, if I go to the store, you know, or if, if you know, so he's got... Uh, whatever that meat on a stick that Fen brought back, can he, it, does it have bones in it? Like, or, 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 is, or is all the bones? Because that's where they got the bone. Oh, see, I thought that Fen handed him that bone or something. Or maybe it did come from the meat. I am not going to skim through to look, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, so oh, I took the bone from Fen. Uh, like he, he literally describes the, the feeling of this animal, you know, living in a cage in a factory farm, trying to, to continue to exist. Um, which is something I wanted to comment on as well, but we'll do that in a sec. Oh yeah, sorry, so I'm going to interrupt you one more time. It does say that Fen picked up some bones, like on the side. It sounds like oh, really? she went and got food and bones. 
Oh, okay. I guess I'm just wondering if I order a chicken at the restaurant, can I just like take the bones home with me to do do magic with? Because you think they're an expensive resource. Uh, huh. And at the very least, maybe the the chapter has been saying he needs some more bones. And if it's as easy as going to the to the bodega across the street, then that's pretty that's nice and convenient and awesome. Maybe the bones of like the the rat animal that they uh, that they sell for food it just aren't very good for healing, but great for practice. Yeah, yeah. All right, didn't mean to cut you off. Or I did, but yeah, I feel no, bad, so go ahead. <laughs> you shouldn't feel bad because I, that would have been taking us to a different topic where uh, we were still talking about the bone magic. Right. But uh, now that we are talking about something else, um, the I, I I really like that the first thing he asked was like, are these scavengers running around that uh, eat the breadcrumbs that people you know trap and then sell for food? And and Fen says. You think that would make any sense for a vendor to rely on scavenger animals caught in traps or something? That's daft. You'd make a horrible businessman. <laughs> and she proceeds to, you know, describe factory farming. And uh, I, you know, I think that's fucking great. It's still part of the whole industrial post-revolution thing. But, you know, ratfic. This is ratfic. That would be a stupid idea that only a stupid person would think when when we have, you know, economies of scale and everything else working just like it does in the normal world. And yeah, I mean, you know, Fen, I think, is being a little rude by assuming that uh, everyone's, you know, he, he's talking about this particular bone that she found. He didn't mean like, is this where they all come from? He, com- he comes to, to the farms thing fairly quickly. But yeah, it's, you know, it's the exact same sort of like Harry walking into Green Guts and be like, can I invest my gold, please? Yeah. So it's uh yeah, you don't you don't sit on a bad idea. Uh, and just imagine, you know, how unsatisfying it would be. And that, that's part of what makes this fun. And that's uh you know, methods did this a bit where not every character was dumb. Um like if he had walked in and he was the first person to think of, wait, why don't we just grow animals for their bones and we could sell their meat on the side? Like it would be almost unbelievable that this is an under- an industrialized world with electricity that no one's thought of that yet, right? So, no, this is the, like, of course we do that already, man. And uh, for that to already be the case puts, like, a baseline level of sanity on the world that makes it interesting to engage with rather than him just, you know, walking in and stomping it to death. Yeah. Uh, I had two other things. They're just small things before we leave this chapter for good. Uh, The first one was that uh, Amaryllis uh, corrects him when he mispronounces the name of the bread. It is mana, she says, with extend the N sound. I was like, oh, cool. Alexander Wales is also a Bible nerd because he used the term for the uh, food that God made fall on the Israelites while they were in the desert so they wouldn't starve. Indeed. That was cool. And the last thing that I have in here is one of the things that I have to actually dislike about Fen. Uh, she gives Amaryllis a nickname. And she says the nickname would have obviously been uh, either, what is it, Amy, Mary, or Liss. And I picked the one that I like best, which is Mary. And that is objectively the worst one. It is the <laughs> biggest change in the phenome. From Amaryllis, you get you, you, you could maybe get Amy, and you could maybe get, you could totally get Liss without changing any sound at all. Amy changes a little bit, but Mary, Mary is nowhere in Amaryllis, and you have to change quite a bit to get Mary. So, uh, yeah, screw that. That is a dumb choice. I don't think it's the one, it's not the best one. I think it is the one she likes best because Fen is just a massive troll. And I guess she has been trolling our, our characters here for the past few chapters, but I am now calling it she is half human, half elf, and all troll. 
See, that sounds like a fun or like a pun if you had said she's half half elf, half human, half troll. Um, I mean, yeah, so I, I agree. It, it is funny that like Mary shares none of the phonemes that Amaryllis has, but it on the other hand, that also makes it a good secret name. But well, yeah, yeah but, okay. but we know that's not why she chose it. She chose it because she likes it the best and she might like it the best for exactly the reason that it's the one that makes the least sense. Yes. Yeah. She's just messing with people. Fucking Finn. I, I, I like that about her usually, but not in this one case. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right. Eh, it's fine. Well, I think we got, you know, a little... that I My own meta thought in this episode is that I feel like we got a little sidetracked uh, more than usual, but I had fun with it, so... I hope yeah, everyone too. else did. And I know that the chapter, the title of the next chapter is Montage. And I am hoping, because like, you know, when I read on my phone, I'm just scrolling. It's not even like page swipes. And so I saw the title chapter and I'm hoping that it's just like, you know, the the sequence you get on a TV show or whatever, when it's like, and then they went away for a week or whatever, and then came back and they've, they're all this much better at stuff. I'm hoping it's just, like the grinding bit that I've been waiting for him to do. You know, it's day three of his time in on air, but it's time to start, uh, you know, abusing the game. <laughs> yeah, totally. You've been here almost half a week, dude. So, uh, I mean, again, if he can just go buy street meat and then use those rat bones to uh, level up his bone magic, it, man, the possibilities are endless. So I'm super stoked. And what else, what else do I get to read? Chapter 19 and... So... Chapter 19 and 20 both have a lot of stuff in them, but they're not like super long in terms of word count. So we could either do 19 and 20 and talk and digress as much as we usually do, or we could get 21 in there as well and be a little tighter and maybe cut out some of our more extraneous comments to make sure it's still only about, you know, 10 pages of notes and we're only here for three hours as opposed to all night if you (laughs) i don't know if you think that we can like maybe tighten some stuff up and cut out some of the other other we might have to make a few hard choices on what to cut if you want to do three chapters or we can just go you know like we normally go and just do 19 and 20 all right so selfishly let's do 21 uh okay because i want to read more but also it'd be a good experiment to see how much we can cover if we're dedicated on keeping on track which honestly we should get we should start practicing doing so um, I like our digressions, but you know this episode would have been forty minutes shorter if we just talked about the book. So that sounds like enough to talk about a whole other chapter. Okay. All right. All right. So next episode, case, uh, you can com- we can be committed to talking more about the book. So look forward to that. Yes, and we will cover chapters nineteen through twenty-one next week. I am so excited, and we are uh, sponsored by some users or some listeners like you on our Patreon. Also, more importantly, uh, Alexander Wales has a Patreon. And also, our money, some, 15% of our money goes to him, too. So if you like this and want to support him, too, and I have to pick, well, you get to do both if you support this show, he said very selfishly. Um, <laughs> but once again, all shout-outs to Alexander Wales. This is his game. We're just playing it. Yep. Uh, yeah. Uh, see his Patreon. See our Patreon. Both are linked in every show description. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Awesome possum. Okay, bye.